The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frogs. From the Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, a preview for Bidden Door and cover all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping it strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your Official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt If you enjoy this podcast Please consider making a one-time Or monthly donation By visiting socialsuplex.com Slash donate and click on the Donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT The only browser extension For NJPWworld.com With features like Dark mode, improved translations and layouts Custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, congrats on passing your exam. Yeah, so um, I was not here last week. I want to thank Imp for stepping in and, uh, you know, manning the duties, manning the shop while I was out. Um, I did take my first uh, FINRA exam, the SIE, Security Industries uh, Essentials, and um, passed it on my first try, which is good, um, which is why I had to uh, not be here. So I understand last week was like the Dominion review and, you know, a lot of other big stuff was going on. But uh, I listened to the show. Honestly, it was a lot more positive show than it was probably going to be had I been here. So... (laughs) You know, <laughs> um, it's probably a good thing I wasn't here, but um, I'm back, you know. And you're better than ever. Yeah. <laughs> what was that thing they say? Like, um, often, uh, I don't know, ne- well, often imitated, never def- duplicated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> yeah, there, there definitely is no replacing the one and only young boy, Josh Smith. Uh, but man, speaking of replacing, like you're getting married and then you're gonna go on a, a honeymoon, I assume. We haven't really talked about it. Like, how are we gonna replace you? <laughs> <laughs> Since do I just get that week off? Like, isn't it in the middle of the G1? Like, yeah, it's in the middle of the G1. Um, so <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to find somebody who 
He knows how to record and edit. And I think I can record it on my phone, probably. I mean, if we gotta do that, we gotta do that. And uh, then I'll record it, and then if it gets out, it gets out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, you know, Rich, it's, it's G1. Maybe Rich will be watching. He can step in for that. I'm not sure how to, like, get Rich's music into my recording, but I know most of the rap. So I think I could do a rendition. You will do a live. <laughs> oh, wait. Hey, yo, yo, yo. This is Rich Ladder. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would be You hilarious. are listening to the Asa podcast. Keeping it strong style. Let's go. <laughs> oh, my Yeah, God. so I could probably do something like that. You know what I'm saying? I think we need that. I think the people want that. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, young boy, we have a lot of stuff to talk about as we are in Forbidden Door Week. A lot of stuff happening in AEW and New Japan. Also, like you mentioned, G1 Climax 32, only a few short weeks away. Uh, so let's start off with last week's AEW Wednesday Night Dynamite. We had some uh, New Japan appearances there. Uh, Why would for- we start off with Dynamite? They're like secondary in my opinion We should end the show with Dynamite <laughs> I'm just going in chronological order here I feel like uh, Forbidden We don't even need to preview Forbidden Door That should be like at, During the news Like this week there will be a Forbidden Door And then just keep moving on There will be this little pay review this weekend uh, Yeah that's, that's it <laughs> I think Fight TV is covering it so. <laughs> No what happened on Dynamite uh, so we had the IWGP U.S. champion, the Commonwealth Kingpin, Will Ospreay, defeating one half of the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions, Dax Hardwood, uh, 13 minutes and 43 seconds. Uncle Dave giving it 4.75 stars. Young boy, what did you think about this uh, matchup here? I think Dave Meltzer is smoking rocks. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, no, I uh, I didn't see Dynamite Live this week, but I did catch up on it. I don't know, Saturday, just when I had some downtime, just threw it on. And um, I heard a lot of good, new, good, you know, uh, reviews about this match in particular. So I went into it with some pretty high expectations, and I felt like it really did deliver uh, for a TV match with no build, you know, nothing behind. Well, I guess a slight build with the stuff with uh, United Empire has been happening on, on their weekly show and on Rampage, but virtually no build. These guys went out there and they really had an incredible, you know, sub 15 minute television match. I went, I don't know, four stars on it. I thought it was really, really, really good. That being said, I mean, bro, I don't know, like four and three quarters. Isn't that (laughs) the same rating he gave? Like, I don't know. uh, Shawn Michaels and the Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. This match was not in the same caliber as one of the greatest wwe like matches in, of all time you know what i'm saying like, right that just this is a that's an absurd rating i can i can find g1 matches that he's given four and a half that mop the fuck out of this match so like uh, and, th- and this is no slight to the match i have nothing to complain about the match i mean it was a great match but it was let's put it in perspective it's no build 13 minutes it's on free TV. There was a commercial break. How is it four and three quarters? 
Yeah. And, and, <laughs> it's absurd. And Will didn't even like unleash like half of what he could do. <laughs> no, 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 no. And that's the other funny thing too is like, uh, I don't know, for me sometimes like for something to truly get that extra bump, it, there needs to be stakes involved. There needs to be historical importance. There needs to be a backstory. There needs to be a deeper level of like fan involvement than, you know, this just didn't make that cut. And like you said, at no point did I ever think like, Oh, Dax, actually there were a few pretty nice, like roll up near falls, but as far as like the high impact, like, uh, you know, big moves, I mean, he didn't break out Stormbreaker. Like they didn't go into many of, you know, Will's like wheelhouse. I think the, the issue is will hit a Oz cutter. And a lot of people haven't been watching Will Ospreay for years, and they still think that's his finisher. And they're like, oh, my God, <laughs> get out of the Oscutter. It's like, dude, everybody kicks out of the Oscutter. Right. Like, some, <laughs> yeah, somebody in our group chat was like, oh, what, what's Dax doing kicking out of the Oscutter? I'm like, well, the Stormbreaker is his finisher. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when, when was that match that he had with Riddle in OTT where he – that's where he first brought out the Stormbreaker. Was that 2018? Yeah, it had to be 2018, yeah. So 19, 20, 20, we're talking four years, four years where the Oscutter has not been finishing people. This is not new. Right. It's not even his secondary finisher. The, the Hidden Blade is a secondary finisher, which he used to beat Dax here. Yeah. And I mean, if all else fails, he goes for a super Oscutter. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, this would be like, oh my God, he kicked out of the Robinson special. <laughs> so yeah, um, but that being... Putting all the hate aside, the match was awesome. It was, it, it really was really, really, really awesome. And uh, we've gotten to the point where I know who Dax Hardwood is now. Like, there was a point where, like, I literally, I, I know a lot of people call him bald and hair. We've been calling this tag team bald and hair going all the way back to, like, what, 2015, 2016, watching them on the Largo yeah, Loop. Yeah, the Largo Loop, yeah, when they were the mechanics. Yeah, the mechanics. We couldn't figure out which one, mechanic one, mechanic two. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> But I finally have put bald as Dax. So at this point, it's Dax and hair. <laughs> the, the, the issue is I don't know if it's cash or dash or wheeler or dealer. Or it, it is. Uh, They've got a lot of names that sound the same. Yeah, it's da- dash wheeler. Cash wheeler. No, I think cash was his, uh, or was it? I can't remember now. See? Yeah. He's hair. Yeah. Dax Hardwood. I know who Dax is and then hair. Wait, or AKA Edge's friend. So <laughs> that's um, how I know him at this point. But yeah, this was a, a great matchup. I went four and a quarter on it. A uh, great little TV match. Um, you know, Osprey, again, only showing a quarter of what he can do and still having this excellent uh, TV match here. People losing their minds for it. Uh, but it's a good, good showing here for Osprey and Dax getting Osprey exposed to uh, the U.S. audience and. Building up for uh, Forbidden Door, which um, after the match we had a, a face-off here. We had um, Rapungi Vice came out, and then Orange Cassidy made his AEW return after being out on the shelf, and Osprey and Orange Cassidy had a face-off, which we now know it will be Will Osprey defending the IWGP U.S. Championship against freshly, freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy. Yeah, that doesn't scream WrestleCon Super Show to me at all. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a Joey Janelle Spring Break Midnight Match at all. It's going to be great. 
<laughs> yeah, I know a lot of people weren't excited about that. I mean, obviously, if it was up to me, I'd there's tons of people on that roster I'd have Osprey wrestle over Orange Cassidy. But I mean, Orange Cassidy, once the stick is done and he's actually wrestling, we saw like in the, in the pack match, we saw in the, the three way of him, Kenny, and Pack, like he can go and he can have a great match. Yes, of course, that's true. I mean, maybe we should just get into it when we get to the review, but I mean, like. I've thought of that, and it's true. And I mean, that doesn't take anything away from the match, but there's still a lot to be left, a lot left to be desired with this matchup. I mean, we're talking about Will Ospreay, former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, like one of the big four, big five guys of the company. Can't we can't get him a, a better name opponent, like other than Orange Cassidy, like a, a comedy shtick guy? I don't know, man. Yeah, like th- this feels very political, if you ask me. Yeah, and definitely some injuries probably came in the way because obviously I don't think Osprey was supposed to be U.S. champ right now. I think it probably would have still been Juice, and they probably would have done you know Orange Juice for the U.S. title. Sounds like Mexico got in the way is what it sounds like. That that too, yeah. With um, Andrade, we'll talk about that a little bit later too. <laughs> uh, but, but also uh, yeah. on Dynamite, we had John Moxley and the Ace Hiroshi Tanahashi coming face to face and building up their match for Forbidden Door. And Moxley, you know, saying that Tanahashi's been ducking him and that there's a lot of championships in this world, but there's only one person they call the ace. And after Sunday, people are going to call John Moxley the ace. Uh, then Tanahashi was about to cut a fire promo on him, but then Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, <Sure> he was, <laughs> he was. I just watched Strong. He was, he was cutting a closing promo. So Tanahashi, he could have let some smoke out on Moxley, but luckily, uh, Chris Jericho and the Jericho Appreciation Society. Uh, came out and interrupted uh, the face-off, and they came down. They were beating up Mox and Tanahashi. Then we had a surprise appearance from El Desperado, and then Lance Archer and Jericho explained that Suzuki Goon has let um, Archer and Desperado on loan from Minoru Suzuki, and he plugged their match that's going to be happening with uh, Jericho, Suzuki, and... Um, Daniel Gar- or actually Sammy Guevara against uh, Eddie Kingston, Chota Umino, and Wheeler, Utah. And then there's a, a tag match coming up this week as well. So continuing to build that matchup. And then also we had another segment with Adam Cole and Hangman Page, both men fighting who's going to be challenging for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. We had Jay White showing up, laying out Hangman, letting us know that he will not be defending against Hangman because he is 2-0 against Hangman, not going to face him. And he's also not going to face Adam Cole. So we're still up in the air on what exactly all three of these men will be doing at Forbidden Door. Yeah, I got to tell you, Jeremy, I've been very um, critical of the build to this pay-per-view. I mean, uh, on both sides, of course, not just this isn't just an AEW bashing session, but at the same time, this technically is really an AEW show. I know it's going to be branded AEW X and JPW, but realistically, this is a show for the Western, you know, market, the Western audience, and you know, all the production and ownership of the, you know, video. It's all going to be AEW production and and you know, ownership essentially. And New Japan is just kind of going to be on the show you know, on loan, essentially. Yeah. And they've had quite a lot of time to build this. Now, granted, of course, there's been a lot of hurdles, injuries, 
pay-per-views on both sides, you know, both companies kind of had, you know, big shows to kind of focus on internally for their own businesses kind of prevented them from, um, you know, really, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but like committing to some of these long-term programs. But then by the time it came around, it's like, Oh shit, we've got a, you know, we've got a pay-per-view coming up in like two to three weeks. They really dragged their feet in truly like committing to any sort of like direction and any sort of like uh, build. And then finally here we are. And it's like on this show, they're trying to like do everything all at once. You know, there's like a lot happening on the show and it's not necessarily coming off in the, the most cohesive manner. I mean, like Jericho came out and claimed that he was in the the main event of the Tokyo Dome with Tanahashi, which I get. He's a wrestler. He's embellishing, but it's like, dude, there was two nights and you weren't in the main event of either of them. <laughs> but then it's like, oh, but we're here. Oh, and those guys are Suzuki Goon, but we're together. Oh, and like it's just like, what the what the fuck is going on, you know? And that whole segment with uh, Tanahashi and Mox was like, you know, the biggest segment of the night on a admittedly pretty low rating um dynamite for them but at least there was interest in that particular matchup and then they and i felt like moxley's promo was pretty good but then they kind of just took all the like heat off of it and put it on jericho but jericho and them have nothing to do with this man you know it just seems really convoluted and really messy same thing with the the IWGP title situation is like, well, I'm not facing you. Well, I want Okada, but oh, Okada lost, so I'm a dumbass. But oh, I want Jay, but Jay doesn't want me. But Jay also doesn't want. Cole. And it's like, what is going on? We got one week to this fucking right. show. Yeah, something like we don't know who you're facing. It's almost like they're acting like they have like three or four more weeks. Like that's something that should have been happening like way before. And I get it. I know there was Dominion and there was Double or Nothing, but if you want to do that long of a build, that should be done. Weeks in advance. At this point, it should have been. We should have known by now what Jay White's doing, what Adam Cole's doing, what Hangman Page is doing. I'll tell you this much. Here's, there's a lot of things we could, we can, you know, criticize or not criticize for based on, you know, all the things that I mentioned before that have been roadblocks. But there's two things that I know for a fact that they could have been doing for a long time now that they just didn't do. Okay, first thing, they could have announced talent for the show way in advance. You know what I mean? Right. You think back to a lot of those like ROH New Japan shows from back in the day or even like the the Rev Pro shows when they do like, you know, War of the Worlds or or whatever. Global, Global Wars. Wars. Yeah. They would announce the talent. It didn't matter who the champions were or weren't going to be or any of that. None of the the talent that was getting announced was not contingent on any sort of decision at Dominion or at Super Juniors or anything like that. So that's the first thing they could have started to do is name the individuals that are going, you know, put up infographics in the middle, like just before they go to a break, you know, it's like, oh, we, you know, fucking, uh, what, what's the guy that wears the mask? Excalibur. I'm just, I'm not, I'm in, I'm in a weird like state of mind tonight, but like, yeah, Excalibur with his like fast song, he's like, oh my God, breaking news. This just came across from the desk of Tony Khan. You know, at Forbidden Door, June 26th, you know, Minoru Suzuki and Suzuki-kun, they will be in action. You know, whatever it is that, right. that you need to, like, kind of hype up. And then, like, at least people have an idea of who's going to be involved in this. Because, you know, there's still people that 
we've heard are going to be on the show that haven't even been like on TV. They haven't been anywhere. They haven't been announced. Right. I mean, even they, they can even announce like championship matches. You don't have to say who's facing. You can say, well, the you know the AW World Title will be on the line, defended against a New Japan guy. The the IWGP World Title will be on the line, defended against the AW guy. Like you can announce like there are going to be championship matches. There are going to be cross promotion matchups without giving the card away or having to spoil potential title matches. Uh, right. I totally agree with that as well. So I mean, they could have even just let you know like, hey, these titles are going to be you know up for grabs on that evening, and then that even adds stakes to whatever matches were occurring in the interim. You know what I mean? Right. For both companies. Right, because it's more intrigue. It's like, all right, who's going to win and go to Forbidden Door? Um, and I guess maybe they're saying, oh, well, obviously it's going to happen. Well, not really. I mean, they could easily have done a tag match with the champions. Like, it wasn't a big assumption that there would, would these titles would be defended. So I think announcing right. that ahead of time definitely could have helped build intrigue to the Punk Hangman match and the J.Y. Okada match. Yeah, and then the last thing I'll, I'll also say they could have been doing, I mean, I definitely think that wrestlers, this is not what I, the point I was going to make, but here's another thing. The wrestlers could have easily been dropping the names of people that they might potentially want to face or, you know, just offhanded references during their promos so that you're like, oh, my God, you know, like he, like when Punk was coming in. Remember when Punk was coming in and everybody on the television was, like, making all these references to Punk? But it was all like non-committal. Like you're right. like, I, I think they're referencing punk, but I'm not totally sure. Right. Like you had people saying, I'm the best in the world or whatever. Right. You could have had people doing things like that, referencing the people that they might be getting involved with during the show to build anticipation. And that's non-committal. That's like very like, you know, you might even not notice that they did it. They they could have been doing stuff like that. But here's the other big thing. For the talents that were coming in, they needed to do video packages. They, you know, not even long ones. I'm not saying like, you know, the whole Kevin Kelly, like, you know, YouTube, like, uh, like the Fred Rosser stuff that's happening right now. Yeah. They don't need to do all that. Like, it doesn't have to be a, a five minute retrospective on the career of Tanahashi, but they could have done like a 30 second video explaining how many times he's been champion, what his role is in the history of the company, and show clips of him fighting guys like Mox. Or not Mox. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, like, the, the four-way from you and in, in uh, DC, he, he did face off against Mox in that four-way. Yeah, I would, I would show him wrestling guys like Tana or like Jericho, Kenny Omega, you know, Archer, people that AEW fans are very familiar with. You know what I mean? Right. And and that and then just that's it. And then just explain like who he is, what his value is, what his importance is, and like with his music playing in the background, and that be it. You know, you could you get that done in sixty seconds. That's no big deal at all. Um, and really hype it up. And I'm not saying to do that on social media. I'm not saying to do that like on your um, you know countdown to the Forbidden Door show. That needs to be on Dynamite and on Rampage, and not just for him, but for other individuals too. You know, I'm not saying like detract entirely from your show, but you're building to a pay-per-view with a bunch of people that are not on your television show. You might want to educate the fan base because I think we're assuming that everybody that's watching knows who these people are. And I don't think as many fans know the New Japan roster as they think they do. You know what I mean? Right. Well, at least with a big star like Tanahashi, Tanahashi got a huge reaction, um, big pops for when he came out and the face off of Moxley, the crowd was very 
into that. But I mean, to your point, also, we don't know if the whole AEW fan base knows that. I'm sure the the pay per view buying fan base probably uh, knows who he is. Right, but at the same time, it's like okay, the viewers at home, you want to convert them to buying this pay per view. the The build has not been the best. Uh, we'll get to the card, but it's good, but it's not necessarily like dream match material. You want to convert them. I think you need something like this to really get them into the know and to understand who it is that they're paying to see wrestle. I'm sure that the fans in the building, yeah, they're familiar because those are like diehards, but not everyone that's watching a TV is as educated or familiar with New Japan Pro Wrestling. If they were, they'd be watching New Japan. And we know for a fact that not all those people are watching New <laughs> right. Japan. You yeah. know? There's a good portion of people that watch AEW that just know about New Japan in theory, but have never actually seen it. I guarantee you of that. Right, and obviously there's a, a percentage of fan base who were New Japan fans and went over to mm-hmm. AEW and haven't watched in the last three to four years and right. uh, missed out on a, a ton of storylines and a ton of stuff that's going on. Right, so I think those are just little simple things that they could have been doing. And, I mean, I, I remember, you know, back in the day, I, I, uh, I well, like this past week, Jim Valley comment made a similar comment and he kind of got roasted i saw dave being like you know oh wwf never made video packages for tenru and yada 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 and that's true but you know they did do vignettes for the um japanese superstars that they signed like asuka and like shinsuke nakamura and like hakushi and you know others kenzo suzuki but um in wcw i remember going back and watching like you know the old tele like Saturday nights and nitros and yeah, when Liger or Muto or Chono were coming in or Fujinami, they did video packages and let you know who they were kind of like what I just mentioned, not long extensive ones, but you'd see them in the Tokyo dome. You'd see them, you know, with all these belts and you're like, what the fuck is that? I want to, you know, they look awesome. That's what they should be doing. Yeah. And and at at this point now it's almost like a little too late, but we'll see what they do one week. Yeah, and so on, on this week on Dynamite, we're going to have uh, John Moxley teaming up with Hiroshi Tanahashi to take on Lance Archer and Chris Jericho in the main event. Will Ospreay and Aussie Open will be taking on Orange Cassidy and Rapungi Vice, and then Brian Danielson will be coming on the show to address the Forbidden Door in the upcoming Blood and Guts match. So with that, let's talk about this Forbidden Door card and the match that we no, right now, so we have the AW Women's World Title match with Thunder Rosa defending against Tony Storm. That's a, that really is a forbidden door because there's not supposed to be women on a New Japan Pro Wrestling <laughs> show, as far as I'm concerned. It's uh, Tokyo Joshi Pro versus Stardom. Oh, I guess that's true. <laughs> uh, also, the IWGP US title on the line, Will Ospreay defending against Orange Cassidy, Eddie Kingston, Shota Umino, and Wheeler Utah against... Chris Jericho, Sam Guevara, and Norzuki. The ROH World Tag Team titles and IWGP Tag Team titles will be on the line as FTR will face the United Empires, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Rapungi Vice, our good friend Rocky Romero, and Trent Beretta. The AEW All-Atlantic title four-way match will be happening with Pac, Miro, Ishii, and the winner of Pentagon and Malachi Black. And then there will be the interim AEW World title match with Hoshi Tanahashi versus John Moxley. And then Jay White will be defending the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. AW sent out a press release today saying 
with a lineup saying that White is defending against TBD. So, young boy, overall thoughts on, on this card? I know you've given some thoughts already, but based on what we have here so far, what are you thinking? Um, yeah, so I think that the show overall, like on paper, the names that are involved, it's great. You know what I mean? And it's going to be pretty hard considering how loaded both of the the personnel lists and rosters of these two companies are for you to not have a, a loaded show. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, you'd have to actively try to not have a great show if you ended up with something that was lackluster, you know, when it comes to talent. I mean, you have to dig very, very deep to to wind up with a, a pretty loaded show. That being said, I've already kind of give my, given my complaints about some of the builds. Um, at the same time, I do get it. You know, it's not like this is a first-time thing. It's not like it was necessarily ever promised, like, hey, this is going to be Super Bowl of Wrestling. We're doing, you know, a stadium, and you're getting, you know, all-time dream matches up and down the card. You know what I mean? Right. So it's not like I'm going to sit here and complain and say, like, oh, they didn't blow off every single big match that they could have possibly been doing. I get it. There's There is a business side to it. You have to, you know, if you're going to keep doing these down the line, you kind of have to store some in your back pocket. So I do get that aspect of it. But at the same time, I mean, I'm looking at this, and it's like, yeah, it's going to be fun, but – most of this, most of it is stuff that I could uh, take it or leave it. If you want my honest opinion, it doesn't really impress me very much. Um, just to kind of give a, a comparison because it's probably the closest thing we've had in a while. When they were making match announcements for um, the G1 Supercard, they didn't blow every single major like dream match that they possibly could have on that. But there were so many like big matches that I was like, oh. Fuck. You know what I mean? Like, right. We they gotta, they yeah. opened with Osprey and Cobb. I, there's almost nothing on here that that I think matches Osprey and Cobb, and that was just the opener of that show. Right. And that show, you also got Saber and Tanahashi. You got Naito, Ibushi, Okada, Jay White. Uh, you had that the ladder match. You had the, the four way tag match. There was a, a lot of big matches that that happened on that cross promotional G1 Supercard from 2019. And when you look at this card, yeah, there, there are some cross emotions, but there's not a lot of like a really big. There's nothing like that's on Tanahashi Saber, Naito Ibushi no. level. Um, and obviously, this is coming out dropping Wednesday morning. By the time some of you listening to this, you might may have already watched Dynamite, depending. And there probably gonna be some other big matches announced. But just looking at what we have right here, nothing is quite on that level except maybe Tanahashi and Moxley, which personally. I'm more excited for Tanahashi Moxley than I was for Tanahashi versus CM Punk, especially since we've been following the build of, you know, or, you know, the kind of accidental build of Tanahashi and Moxley. This is a match that's been trying to be booked for almost two years now and through different, you know, pandemics and injuries and all kinds of mishaps, the match just didn't happen. We got close to yeah. it with the, with the four-way at Capital Collision in D.C., last month uh but now we're finally getting the one-on-one matches that's been built up for so long now so i'm pretty pumped up for that match i i am excited for it um i did think that some of the build was a little convoluted uh i know you guys discussed this the other week but you know i didn't i don't know that i see it fully necessary for them to have done like you know the whole battle royal and then the guy that won the battle royal had to fight mox and then mox beat him. you know what i mean like and then right. getting goto involved that all that seemed kind of um superfluous to me yeah very convoluted 
But um, regardless, it's still a great match, and it's a match that we've been, you know, getting teased for a long time that it was going to happen. Um, I did really, again, I thought that the promo that Moxley cut on Tanahashi was great. I also thought that the job, the commentary team were, were trying to do to really put over Tanahashi um, in the past couple weeks, they've done a, a great job too. But, you know, again, this is where I think a video package would have really, really, really helped. But um, at the same time, in the bigger match is Tanahashi and Punk. Right now, yeah. I, I'm not necessarily like I'm like you. I'm more excited for Moxley and Tanahashi. And the reason why is because Moxley has been on fire this year, and even if he's not everybody's cup of tea, he's having great performance after great performance after great performance ever since he came back from his rehab stint and has like revitalized his career. Like he's on a different level, and he was already kind of like, you know, firing on you know a bunch of cylinders before that he left, and since he came back, even more so. Um, and you know Tanahashi is going to be hyped for that match too, and hopefully we get like the best that he has to offer. Um, so from a in ring perspective, it's going to be better than what Punk would have been, right? You know, because I mean, it's kind of like the what a lot of people don't want to talk about it, but CM Punk is not CM Punk anymore. Like he just isn't. I, you go and you look at his match, uh, his performances, and over the past subsequent ever since he came back, and it's like. If you really, really, really love those MJF matches, I guess I get it. But for me, the only truly great quote-unquote match he's had was the match he had with Eddie Kingston. It's because he wrestled Kingston style. Everything else he's done, I think, has been okay. But considering the high level of work rate that AEW has, I mean, he's not in the league of the work that Moxley or Jericho or Kenny Omega or Adam Page, you know, put into that main event level. Like, he just can't match it, period. And I was really worried about a match with him and Tanahashi. Like, I actually was. So I I think this is the better match on paper, but I still see, like, in Chicago, Forbidden Door, the marquee value, Punk was probably going to go over. <laughs> right. You know, so. Yeah. It's a trade-off. Yeah, it, it very interesting too. It was noted on Twitter today that we'll, we'll talk about the G one schedule, but as of right now, Tanahashi is only scheduled for one Wednesday throughout the whole G one. So that that gives some hope I, I there. Mean, do you think that that's is that feasible that he could be traveling back and forth between the United States and Japan to defend the title week after week after week? Like, I don't think that's realistic. It, it's not realistic, but I mean, it just it just throws a little little bit of doubt there that. What what if like? I mean, for my money, if Tanahashi now I think Tanahashi is a great name and he could really add a lot to the prestige of that title lineage, provided the interim title is considered part of the lineage. Because truth be told, they already had an interim title with Sammy Guevara, and they don't consider his interim title reign as part of his official TNT title reign at all. It's almost like a little footnote that doesn't exist. So yeah. I mean, this whole thing might be for not, <laughs> but let's say it were, let's say it, it was, um, yeah, Tanahashi would be a great champion to include, but at the end of the day, like, it just doesn't make sense if, if CM Punk can't be, you know, around as the champion, but not defending for whatever period of time it is, 
why would you put the title on a guy that probably can't be around as well? Like, it's just not feasible. I'm 99% positive they're going with John Moxley here. And if they don't, I'll be A, ecstatic, but B, shocked. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think most people are expecting Moxley to win. Moxley's not doing G1 this year. He's going to be here in America. He's the top star in AEW right now that's healthy. So, yeah, everything makes sense to go with Moxley. But just that little that little sliver of doubt with that schedule, uh, I think would be pretty cool if Tanahashi could win and somehow work it out uh, for the summer. But also, it's probably going to be Moxley. Uh, we have a ton of questions here uh, about okay. this pay-per-view that can help further the discussion here. So uh, first, from Murder User Chocolate Castle Plus, considering how difficult it must be to organize a show between two independent companies, is this as good a card as they could do with available talent? Well, if, um, for instance, if Dave Meltzer of Wrestling Observer is to be believed, prior to all the injuries, there was a totally different card that was on the table. Um, I believe that he saw an outline, and he said that it was absolutely phenomenal, and it's this is not what we're getting, and it's because they had to shift so many things around uh, due to the injuries, then also for political reasons, uh, because, you know, the AAA, CMLL, you know, embargo that exists between the partnership with uh, CMLL and New Japan. That kind of put a halt to some of their plans as well. Right, so obviously top guys like Pentagon and Phoenix and Andrade can't be on the show. And then you just think about the natural politics of like, all right, well, we want some New Japan guys to win. We want some AEW guys to win. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, both companies are going to want their top guys to look strong. So you're going to have to make matches that with guys that you are willing to beat and guys that you want to get over. Yeah. The other thing, too, is like this is a first time occurrence. And, you know, I think that if it does well financially, which I got to tell you, I'm a little bearish on that based on the ratings. That's another reason I don't think they put the title on Tanahashi. The ratings are down. They got no MJF. They got no Punk. They got no Kenny Omega. And ratings are down. Yeah. The the guy that's the biggest star, that's the most well-known name, he's John Moxley. They're going to put the belt on him. They're not putting it on an unknown United States commodity like Tanahashi. It's just not the right environment. But um, given how ratings have been down, and given how like Google trend searches just have kind of gone down on this whole entire uh, event, I'm not confident that they do big business on this. I know that they did big business for the ticket sales, but um, I don't know how well the pay-per-view is going to do. And I hope it, I'm not saying that to be a bear or bad news. It's just the, the signs are not pointing that it will be. Now, if some things change, like this coming Wednesday, if by the time this show you know, airs and Wednesday comes around and, you know, we, we get, you know, matches with John or with, uh, Brian Danielson and who knows a return of Kenny Omega, like that's rumored or something like that. If something like that happens, then yeah, maybe, maybe the business really does go up. But the point I was trying to make is if this does well business from a business standpoint, then that would incentivize them to give us an even better card down the road whether that be in Japan at the Tokyo Dome possibly or here again on an annual basis, something like that. So I think that, no, there's definitely, they can definitely give us a better um, card. There's so much talent that's been left off of the show on both sides. So um, there's a lot more that they can do. This is not the best, you know, card that they could give us. 
Right, I think it definitely could be better, but I, I do think it's going to do a good pay-per-view number. Also, I don't, I don't think it's going to crack like record-breaking numbers. I don't think it'll beat double or nothing, but I think it'll probably be in that 99,000 to 100,000 range. AEW has that kind of core, rabid pay-per-view uh, buyer that just seems to at least even out at 100,000, no matter what the pay-per-view seems to be. And you look at some of those earlier shows where the cards weren't, Quite as strong, but they did have some good, strong main events. They did were able to pull in a great pay per view number. Yeah, that's the the over under on this is going to be a hundred thousand or a hundred thousand buys. You know, um, I think that if they do sub ninety, then that's got to kind of be seen as a, a you know not the best. You know, because yeah. I don't I, I don't think that they have they done any pay per views under a hundred thousand. Uh, I don't think so. I'd have to double check, but if they did, it was very close. Right. Um, so, I mean, yeah. And plus this isn't part of their regular rotation. I mean, it, it still remains to be seen what, what happens with this, but, uh, yeah, I think down the line, they could definitely give us a better show if they want to. Yeah. Uh, dark soldier says, yo, is such a hoe. And that's probably why he won't be at forbidden door. What a hoe. Am I right? <laughs> um, you know, that was something I was kind of thinking about was like, um, you know, long term. Um, what, what, like, I don't know. I just was wondering if there was any plans for like Yo and Show and those types of guys being on this or not, you know? Right. I'm wondering if they're going to do some kind of rumble. Like we saw like the, the ROH New Japan show at, at Madison Square Garden to get some more guys on the show. I mean, again, we've been told that there are, other names that are coming in on the show today on Wednesday uh, that haven't been seen yet. And there's guys who haven't been announced yet. So I'm wondering if there's going to be a battle Royal, what other matches are going to get made? So this is kind of what the business, the pay-per-view business for AEW looks like. This comes from WrestleNomics. So um, going back to March 7th, 2021, every single um, pay-per-view that they've had has done at minimum 115,000, um, but many of them have d- done much higher than that. It looks like All Out 2021 was like the peak. that they, That's where they did over 200,000. Uh, Prior to that, they were doing sub-100 pretty regularly, um, but the lowest that they had was probably Full Gear 2019 at like 80,000. So, you know, just before 2021, they were kind of like vacillating between like 80,000 to like just around 105 but as of 2021 they don't do under 100 so uh, and then you know all in which is pre AEW that did like 45,000 which was pretty good pretty good all things considering what that show was so I think that um if they were to do like let's say if they do under 80 that means that they have done the lowest AEW pay-per-view number of all time and that would be you know going back to 2019 that would probably be seen as a major negative if they're over 100 that's going to be on the low end of what they're doing right now to be like pretty like 120 would be very successful most likely yeah I think they would be fine with 100 and I think again like you were saying like if they get 100 I think that leads them for all right next year we need to have a, a better card and a better build to to get higher. For sure. 
uh, Twitter follower at Azirio says, does Kenny Omega make a surprise return to face Jay White for the strap? If so, could we see a switch of titles crossing companies with Kenny and Tanahashi both winning, even for a short title run? Uh, that's an interesting question. Now, um, you know, I will, you know, give a shout out to uh, Joel from the Super J cast. He had um, referenced last week on his show that there were discussions or talks of a potential Kenny Omega and Jay White match. And then, you know, it looks like we've been sort of seeing some of the teases of that, maybe on like being the elite and other like forms of media. And um, it's not one of those things that's like quite completely out there in the zeitgeist. I don't see a lot of people talking about this, but there are like the, the whispers of rumors of this potential. And I don't know, my understanding had been prior to all of this discussion that Kenny was not ready to return from his rehab and was still, you know, kind of um, getting back into ring shape. But if he is ready to go, that's the biggest thing that they could do to really push this pay-per-view over the, over the limit at this point. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this week on uh, BTE, Hangman Page was backstage looking for brooms. Um, so, obviously, reference there to the cleaner. So, yeah, potentially we could be having Kenny Omega on Dynamite this Wednesday, making a surprise appearance. Like I said earlier, uh, the AEW press release says that Jay White's opponent is TBD. He is going to be defending the title. So, it seems like, I don't know if it'll be a one-on-one matchup, but it seems like there's potential for Kenny Omega to be involved in that matchup. I think it would be weird for Kenny to win the IWGP World Heavyweight title right now, especially going into the G1 and obviously how important the the champion usually is in the G1 and setting things up like that. And um, So I'm not quite sure. That doesn't feel like it would make business sense either. For the same reasons we talked about why I think Moxley needs to win, I mean, they're going to have Jay White just be the transition guy to Kenny Omega. So he beats Okada completely clean, goes to America, and then just the very next match within days drops it to Kenny Omega, who's not in the G1. And who's I not going to be in Japan? Who, kn- who knows when? Who knows if he's even allowed? I Last time I heard, I heard that Japan <laughs> brokered a deal with the Japanese <laughs> government to keep Kenny Omega from ever coming back into, you Yaku- know. Yakuza. Yeah. <laughs> So <laughs> I, I think that's highly unlikely. And, and you know what? That's another thing. Like, if you're a big Kenny Omega fan, you might want him to come back, right? But do you want him to come back to lose to Jay White in the rubber match? I don't know. Yes, it's, it's going to be 2018 <laughs> all over again. <laughs> Man, eating a Blade Runner. Because, I mean, if he did come back, that would be great. But I can't see him beating Jay White for the title. Right, it would have to be Jay going over or a hour draw. Or some other tomfoolery, some fuckery. Right, Adam Cole or whoever screws screws Kenny over. That sounds about right, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Our good friend Ricky from the Ricky and Clyde Wrestling Show says, is there anything in particular missing from Forbidden Door bar Okada? I mean, right now... There's no Shingo Takagi listed. Um, I mean, there's still room for him to potentially be there, but I mean, we've already got seven matches, so I don't know. Yeah, there, there's no Hiromu. There's no Tetsuya Naito. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, on the AEW side, obviously, 
everything's very much in flux with him, but MJF is not here. That's a big star for them. No Darby. No, no Darby Allen, no Wardlow. Obviously, no Lucha Bros, no Andrade. Um, that, you know, there's a quite a few guys that I would like to see on the show that are not there. No Young Bucks yet? Oh, yeah, no Young Bucks. That's so weird, huh? Yeah. Strange. So, yeah, hmm. a, lot, a lot missing from this card. Uh, Rambone Slam Pig says, based on the ending of Being the Elite, it seems like there's some kind of story going on about Kenny Omega returning to reconcile with Hangman. It seems like an outside shop. What do you think about a Kenny Hangman tag match at Forbidden Door? Would it be a letdown? Um, I mean, I don't know. We're going to get a a reunion of those guys after, I don't know. That just seems like too hot shoddy to me to do something like that. I, I think at this point, a lot of folk are wanting this to just be a bigger and better event than it actually maybe will end up being. And so we're all trying to rationalize and, you know, fantasy book scenarios on it with it, with a one week build <laughs> right? that just probably aren't going to pan out. Yeah. When I saw the Kenny tease, I was thinking maybe they do a tag match. We had Kenny and hangman against Jay and Adam Cole, especially since Cole and Jay seem to be having issues now. And then this big story of like, well, can Kenny and hangman really work together and trust each other? And we know the history of Kenny and Adam Cole, and before he left, he told the Bucks, you know, you hold hold it down. Adam Cole kind of took over the elite, it's the undisputed elite now, and he's been the, the face of the elite. So we know Kenny's probably not a big fan of that. So there is some story that can make that work, but with Jay being announced as defending the title, uh, also that tag match can't happen. So I don't know if you would, if you do a tag match with Kenny and Hang, Hangman versus Cole and somebody else, who does Jay White face is the only question there. Could there be a scenario where I know that Jay has been like, I'm not fighting either of you, but how many times has he said, I'm not fighting someone. And then he ends up fighting them for the title. Yeah. <laughs> like it's happened a lot. Um, so what if there's some sort of like mandate or order that comes down or something that occurs this week where he just ends up in a triple threat with uh, Hangman and, and Adam, uh, Adam Cole, because I mean, Let's say Kenny does come back, right? Cool. He's fighting Jay White now. What do those two guys do? Exactly. The They're off the pay-per-view, and they've been integral parts of the build, the, the limited build that's been there. Just seems kind of weird. My guess, I, 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 or at least some version of this is what's going to happen. We're going to end up with a triple threat with Jay White versus the two Adams. Jay White's going to, you know, um, retain... And at the end of it, through some measure or means of storytelling, Kenny Omega is going to show up on the show. He's not going to compete, but that's going to set up whatever's going on with him and Adam Cole and him and Hangman, as well as, you know, we've been getting teases for a while now between him and uh, uh, Jay White. So I think all of the elements are there. That's the spot where you bring Kenny out. You that's the big news. He makes his return, but he's not going to compete. You know what I mean? That's right. That's the likely scenario. You can do a thing kind of like similar to what happened with Abushi, where like the Bullet Club's beating him down, and then or Kenny's or the Bullet Club's beating Kenny down. Abushi made the big save. So you could have you know the Bullet Club and the Elite beating down Hangman, and then Kenny comes out and they think, oh yeah, Kenny's going to join the beat down, but he actually helps Hangman. Something like that. I mean, I I, I don't want to 
book overbook it too much because I don't really know, but I, that's what my gut tells me is the likeliest thing to happen. Yeah. Uh, Rambo's also asked, I'm hoping to see representation for LIJ on the Forbidden Door show. I realize some of the CMLL and AAA politics might foul that up. If any of them do appear, what would be the ideal matchups on the AW roster? Honestly, I, I that's a great question. I would love to, you know, um, you know, talk about that. But the reality is we already know that anyone that's involved with AAA, actually, no. Not anyone that's involved with AAA, only the Mexicans that are involved with AAA. Right. Only the guys that are perceived as threats to CMLL's business are being, like, blacklisted from the event. We we do know, as of this past week, that uh, the plan, according to uh, an interview that uh, Andrade did, was that he was going to go to Japan, probably during Dominion, I'm guessing, and face off with uh, Will Ospreay and then set up a a match between the two of them for the U.S. title here at Forbidden Door. And he said AAA got wind of it, put the Knicks on it, or CMLL did, and now he's not allowed to be involved. That means Lucha Brothers are probably not allowed to be involved. And we also saw, I saw a tweet from Dragon Lee where he commented on this and he said, yeah, the, the stuff with CMLL and AAA is the reason why I can't work with New Japan either. So he's off the table. Right. And, and the thing with Andrade, he hasn't really been booked that much by AAA recently. They're, they're no, just... yeah, he, he's upset. Uh, he's been upset because a lot of the promises they made didn't come true and they haven't used him the way that they said that they were going to. And it's kind of been, a, uh, he's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I took a risk working with you guys and now I can't even work with New Japan because of it. So yeah. he's getting he's getting screwed both ways. Yeah. Uh, as far as Lij um, appearances, I did hear that Shingo and Hiromu would be involved in this card. So I'm just going to throw it out there. How about Shingo and Hiromu versus Young Bucks? That would be so awesome. But I don't know if it's realistic. At the same time, too, there's a part of me that's like Shingo was world champion all last year and like the wrestler of the year. Maybe. Maybe he should be wrestling JY. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this last question here: Does the difference in dynamics between Japan and US with regard to wrestlers who are juniors in Japan but just regular wrestlers in America complicate some matchups? Would love to see Darby or Swerve get some matchups against top juniors, but does that diminish them? I, I don't think it does because, um, at the, I mean. Is there a scenario where that could be the perception? Yeah, but I mean, they're not competing in a junior-style match for the junior title in the junior division. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's a cross-branded show. I don't think anybody would get it twisted if something like that did happen. But, yeah, again, right as of yet, no swerve, no derby. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, both of those guys would be great on this card. Uh, it d- does sound like Swerve is going to have something planned uh, for the show. But, yeah, those are two big stars who should be on the show. But, yeah, I think the whole junior division diminishing, I don't think that would really happen, since, especially since AW's roster is full of juniors who get pushed to the top, and there is no junior division or title in AEW. So I think junior guys from New Japan would be treated you know, like top stars and would have good matchups against juniors or non-juniors. Um, this last question here, I think we've pretty much covered it, but Wiz Factor said, based on how the Forbidden Door peer review has been booked and built to date, what are the issues that you would like to see fixed for the next time we get a crossover show? I think we kind of covered everything. 
I, I just think that, yeah, I think they need to have longer builds, more cohesive builds, better education and introduction of, of the wrestlers, the principals involved, and, you know, better matchups that people can sink their teeth into. Yeah. So any other final thoughts on Forbidden Door before we move on to Road? Um, I mean, we didn't really say who we think are winning any of these matches or anything like that. Yeah, I guess we're going to do uh, quick uh, predictions here. Um, so, Tanahashi and Moxley going Moxley. I think, I think Moxley is for sure going to win that match. And I'm, as of right now, just looking at it on paper, that's probably going to be match of the night. Yeah. Uh, the All-Atlantic four-way, we can assume that Malachi Black will be the fourth person since Pentagon can't uh, be on the show. Yeah, and you know, for uh, for a title that I think is kind of pointless as of yet <laughs> um and also inaccurate because i don't know what new japan has anything to do with the atlantic ocean it's, um, it's all one ocean man i, I guess <laughs> it all connects to the atlantic <laughs> does it I, okay cool that's what, that's what chris charlton said yeah chris charlton said that and i was like are you sure are you sure <laughs> chris but um you know, those four guys involved in a match, that's, like, really fun. You know, that sounds like a really cool, you know, WrestleMania weekend four-way match, except this is on a bigger stage with, with you know, a title on the line. So it's probably going to be really, really good. And um, I'm guessing, if I had to take a guess, Miro would be the guy to win that match. Yeah, my guess would be Miro, too. Just coming back from the injury, getting a push on TV so far, I think it would make a ton of sense for him to get the win there. Yeah, and and he's trying to redeem everybody for God, like right. <laughs> um, then the double tag team title match. You know, um, so that one's interesting. It's FTR, United Empire, and Rapongi Vice. Part of me is like United Empire should win because they just won the IWGP titles for the second time, and you know the ROH titles really don't mean a whole lot maybe they could just give it to them but at the same time O'Connor and Cobb are going to be in the G1 for the next month and a half or whatever not defending these belts they're not really needed that much in New Japan at the current time and FTR do seem like the guys that they're really giving this heavy push this year Mm -hmm. and the fact that they have the AAA belts and they have the, the ROH belts what if they give them the IWGB titles and they and then they're triple champions? But that one's going to be weird because they're not technically allowed to be triple A and IWGB like belt holders at the same time. Like they're not. I don't think they're going to be allowed to like show both those belts on screen together. <laughs> yeah. So that that whole thing's weird. But uh, I don't know. What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure Rapongi Vice is not winning. You don't think our good friend Rocky is gonna gonna pull it out? No, <laughs> uh, no. But in all seriousness, I, I do. I agree with you. I do think FTR is going to win this matchup. They did tease like way earlier on before the pay per view announced about about wanting to be like Triple Crown champions and holding all the tag team titles. So it seems right now they're laying the seeds for another FTR Young Bucks matchup. Young Bucks are now the AW Tag Champs. I think you put the IWGP. Titles on FTR, they have three belts, and then you do a huge title versus title match with FTR. The Young Bucks, FTR can win that, and then they would be 
you know, quadruple tag no, team champions. The, the Bucks need to win those so they can <laughs> come out with they can come out with new gear with all four belts on them. Yes, that that would be hilarious. But I, I feel like like you said, this is FTR's year. I think that's the big accomplishment they're going to try and give them, having them hold all these tag team titles. Part of me is like New Japan shouldn't do that, but then I just know that they don't give a fuck about those IWGP tag titles. So it's like, all right, whatever. Right, like you mentioned, but it's, it's G1 season. Um, you know, for a whole month, guys are going to be in singles matches. Those tag titles won't be needed probably until the G1 finals, maybe if they want to do a title match there, but they probably won't be defended What until like September, during September tour. King of Pro Wrestling, Destruction, something like that. If 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 if, we're, if that's even what the events are going to be called this year, I don't even know. Right, they could do some like throwback events. So we don't know what's going to happen in the fall, but they they will, those belts wouldn't be needed until the fall. Right. So yeah, I guess FTR. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'll be pulling for United Empire, I guess. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just going to pull for a good match. I mean, honestly, I, I think whoever wins will be fine. But I'm going FTR. Sure. Uh, then we have uh, Mox's friends against uh, Jericho, Suzuki, and Sammy. Yeah, I saw something about Eddie Kingston um, teaming with Shota Umino and Wheeler Yuta has, like, serious, like, the fun uncle who's, like, <laughs> away with the kids for the weekend, like, sort of vibes. Like. <laughs> so, yeah, and for those of you that didn't realize, like, Sammy Guevara, like, turned this pat well not turn but like rejoined jericho appreciation society this week so that's why he's uh with them i'm pretty sure that jericho appreciation society is going to win just based on the fact that umino and wheeler Utah are there to like lose probably shota umino will lose but at the end of it there will be some sort of miscommunication between jericho and suzuki which will result like in Suzuki, like, beating the shit out of Jericho. And we'll probably get some big match between them down the line. Yeah, I, I agree with your post-match angle, but I think that Mox's friends are going to get the win here. Uh, and I think there'll be some miscommunication that leads to them losing. And then post-match, you know, Jericho and Suzuki will argue. Suzuki will lay him out with a gotch. And Jericho's always said he wants to wrestle Suzuki. So you could do that at Wrestle Kingdom, the Wizard versus the King. Um, and that would be a fun matchup. Well, if I was booking, I'd have Sammy Guevara beat Umino. I mean, that that could happen, too. Yeah. We'll see. But, I mean, Will Utah is, you know, top star in promotion. Yeah, I know. So He's he, not going to eat the pinfall. Eddie Kingston would eat the pinfall before Will Utah does. Yeah, Utah could pin Jericho. Utah could beat Suzuki. Yeah. Utah could beat Jay White if. Get an opportunity. He can, yeah, win this matchup that gets them into the main event, and then he beats Jay White. You know, there's some guys that like it's really difficult to beat them, like Jeet Rama in Tampa, <laughs> Undertaker at WrestleMania. You know, um, who was that one Indian wrestler that always did well in the Saudi shows? Oh, um, not Indian, but he's, M- M- Mansoor. Yeah, you can't beat Mansoor in Saudi, and. It's going to be really hard to just beat Wheeler Utah in AEW, period. As long as he's under TK's, like, cover of Umbrella of Protection, like, you're not beating that guy. Right. He's like, Gato in here. That's different. This ain't Super I, Juniors. I think he would <laughs> fuck up Wardlow, to be honest. Then <laughs> uh, the uh, U.S. title match, Osprey and Cassidy. Now, here's the funny thing. Uh, you know, Osprey's upset because he doesn't have a belt, right? Right. Um, 
by the way, this company should probably start selling replicas because they could have, how do they not have, how do they not have a, like another U.S. belt lying around? Like in, in the United States, you always have like a duplicate belt for the champion in case it gets stolen or something. But what if they didn't want it? What if they wanted to use it as part of the whole New Japan screwing Osprey storyline? That's not what happened. <laughs> but here's the funny thing. Me and Rich always go, like, Rich to Rich, the actual physical belt is synonymous with the the term title because it's a title belt. And so there is no differentiation between those two things. How can you be champion if you don't have the belt? But, like, in all reality, what is a title? A title is a word that is pronounced over you, you know, like when they – like in the old days, like, you know, they give someone a title, like the Lord of blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, there was a time in wrestling where there were not belts. The champion was the champion because they called him the champion and he didn't have, sometimes they'd have a big cup as a trophy, but that was about it or a ring. And then eventually they introduced title belts. The title belt is just a trophy or a trinket to signify physically that he is the champion. But, even if he doesn't have the belt, he's still the champion. He doesn't need the belt to be champion because he's the title holder. He holds the title of champion. And me and him always get into it because he act, he plays stupid about this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the definition right here. Will Ospreay is the U.S. champion. Have you seen him with the red belt yet? I ain't seen him with the red belt, but not guess what? Not yet. He did he's say he said he did say he was going to go to Juice's house and, and invade his home to to get the title. So we'll see if he invades that in time for Forbidden Door. Like Stone Cold and Brian Pillman? Yeah. <laughs> it's going to bust in on him and Juice and Tony. Um, I will say this. I think Osprey versus Orange Cassidy is the biggest uh, booking travesty of this entire event. Um, will Osprey is a guy that probably has more potential to cross over into the Western, uh, like, audience, like, like basically he's the guy that could really cross over in a major way uh, along with Jay White, of course, when it comes to like Western Gaijin people that have a lot of upside, he's one of them. And maybe this match will help with that for sure. There's no denying that orange Cassidy isn't popular. Of course he is at the same time. Will Ospreay is like a top four, top five guy in new Japan. He's definitely a top three worker in the world and has been for like five or six years. And the idea that he's on this card and he's not wrestling one of the absolute. Let me ask you, Jeremy, who are the top guys in AEW? Like, let's just go down. I think there's about seven or eight of them. Kenny Omega, John Moxley. Um, Hangman Page. Hangman Page. Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho. MJF. That's five. Want, Adam Cole. Yeah, Adam Cole. You want to throw Darby up there? I don't think Darby's in that league yet. Okay. But why isn't he fighting one of those guys that we just listed? You know? Right. And I think the reason is because it's political. Because they're not... AEW wouldn't want him... Be, like, look who they were going to have him beat. Andrade. That's a guy That's a guy who has a name who is beatable. Right, he, you know what I mean? he hasn't been pushed super heavy on TV. He's Andrade's loss to guys like Darby. He hasn't been in that top echelon yet. But obviously they don't want Hang- – Hangman just lost a title. They don't want to beat Hangman yet. Jericho's in this big feud going into blood and guts. They don't want to beat Jericho. 
MJF is off doing whatever he's doing so that you can't use him. See, it's very precarious. At the same time, Will Ospreay deserves to be in a ring with one of those guys. And he, I'm not even saying he should beat them necessarily, but or maybe he should. I don't know. But like, regardless, that's the type of caliber guy that he should be wrestling. If not one of them, a next tier level of guy like a Darby, like a Miro, like uh, you know Samoa Joe, something, someone like that. And that's not happening. They're, they're giving him Orange Cassidy now. From an in ring perspective, we we all saw the Pac match with Cat with Orange Cassidy. We know what he's capable of doing. But I've also seen him go out there and have not the best matches with guys like Jericho, you know, and and sometimes miss. So. I think that this is a, a booking malpractice. I think that having Will Ospreay in there with a, a, a mid-card guy, essentially, is not the right call. He should be in there with a guy that's in the top five of their rankings, and it kind of sucks that it's Orange Cassie, that this is not a dream match. This is fun, wacky, 3 to one battle wrestling or like something that you might see on a George GCW. Nella spring break. Yeah, or some GCW, we're going to steal another rap name, <laughs> you know, show from Atlantic City or some shit like that. This is not something that should be on the Forbidden Door AEW pay-per-view, honestly. Yeah, I got to admit, I'm also, yeah, very disappointed in choice of opponents for Will Ospreay. Uh, with that being said, though, I do feel like both these guys are probably going to come in with chips on their shoulders and something to prove because I'm sure they know what the naysayers are saying and people are kind of looking down this match. So I think they're going to go out there and absolutely kill it. And Will Ospreay, he's on fire right now. I mean, he's arguably the wrestler of the year. This guy is going between Japan, the UK, and the U.S. Indies and just having fire matches all over the world. And so, yeah, I think he's really going to go out here to work really hard. This is a huge platform for Ospreay being on AEW pay-per-view. And so I think he is going to go really hard. I think Kathy's going to go really hard. And I think it's going to be uh, end up being a sleeper match on the card. And with that being said, I do think that Will Ospreay will retain the IWGP U.S. title. Yeah, I expect that too, of course. And the, the, the main reason I'm – now, here's my other thing about this. If, hypothetically, they had given some other pretty big high-profile matches on this show, then this might not be as egregious. But the reality of, it, the, reality of the situation is with – no Ibushi, no Okada, no Naito, and others, you know, no Shingo. The top stars that are on the show from New Japan are basically Jay White, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Will Ospreay. And those other two guys, they're in top main events. And Will Ospreay, who's better than both of those guys, and probably has more upside in the United States than either of them, is relegated to wrestling Orange Cassidy. I just don't. I don't think that that's the right station for him at this point in his career. That's that's what my gripe is about it. Yeah, and I'm also wondering too if there might have been a potential for an Osprey Moxie rematch because clearly Moxie wasn't originally slated to face mm. Tanahashi. So I'm wondering what Mox would have done if Punk was healthy and it was Punk versus Tanahashi. Could they have run back that Windy City Riot rematch with Moxley and Will Osprey? The other match here, we got um, AEW Women's World Title match, Thunder Rosa versus Tony Storm. Um, I'm, I'm not really that invested, but they have been building Tony in pretty clean manner across the board. My guess, I think Thunder Rosa probably retains. 
Yeah, I'd be very surprised if they flip the belt this early. Yeah, I think it'll be a really good matchup, and yeah, Thunder will retain. One last thing before we move on. Um, again, this coming Wednesday, Brian Danielson addresses Forbidden Door as well as Blood and Guts. I think it's interesting how they have him um, addressing those events as opposed to addressing, say, quote-unquote, his future, like we've seen with CM Punk or others in the past. I think that that wording, to me, along with the fact that the original belief about his you know, status was that he was only believed to be out for a couple of weeks, leads me to believe that he is probably, and I, I, we'll find out tomorrow, but he's probably cleared at this point and is likely coming out to set up the rumored match between him and Zack Sabre Jr. And I think if the Zack Sabre Jr. match does occur, that would be an incredible addition to this show. Yeah, that definitely raises the card up a lot because you're getting another really great singles matches, two of the best technical wrestlers in the world, uh, both guys kind of fighting for that that claim. And so that's a matchup that sure would have been great with more build, yes. But these guys, I mean, there's a ton of history between them and just both their styles and what they both kind of wrestle for. And so I think that will be an epic matchup that would definitely elevate the stock of this card. That's another guy, too. If if there is no opportunity to have Okada Danielson happen on the show, which is what I wanted, Brian Danielson against Will Ospreay wouldn't have been a bad way to go whatsoever. Mm, yeah. I mean, only two of the greatest talents of all time. Yeah, and I don't think they've ever wrestled each other, right? Ne- they've never wrestled. Yeah, that would have been a great like first-time matchup. And again, I'm sure maybe... Down the line at some other cross motion or in the Tokyo Dome, they might try to do that, but it definitely would have been great on this card. Awesome. Well, let's get into New Japan Road. <laughs> yeah, so we had uh, three New Japan Road shows that aired over the past week. Going to run through the results of most of this and then focus on some of the bigger matches that happened on this tour. We so, don't have time to discuss the ins and outs of. Takamichinoku versus Kosei Fuji, okay? <laughs> okay, we're, we're on the Don Callis tour. Just the big matches only at this point. Uh, so on the 18th, you have to mention Takamichinoku defeated Kosei Fujita. We had Tiger Mask and Hanma defeating Clark Connors and Yuta Nakashima. Suzuki and Kanemaru defeated Oiwa and Ishii. Goto Yano Yo and Yoshihashi defeated the House of Torture. Uh, United Empire, Aaron Hanare, Francisco Akira, and TJP defeated Wato Deguchi and Jado. LIJ, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeated Tenzan, Okada, and Makabe in the main event. Bushi and Hiromu defeated Sho and Taiji Ishimori, which then led to the June 20th New Japan Road Show, where we had Hanare defeating Fujita, Dick Togo, Evil, Sho, and Udro defeating Goto, Yano, Yo, and Yoshihashi, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeating Okada, o- Oiwa, and Nakashima, Bushi and Hiromu defeating Gato and Taiji Ishimori. And then we had the AEW All-Atlantic title first-round qualifying matches happening. We had the Wild Rhino Clark Connors defeating Tomioka Hanma, 11 minutes and 29 seconds. Did you uh, catch that one? Yes. So I did um, watch the AEW All-Atlantic title qualifying matches. Um, I saw Clark Connors defeat Hanma. Pretty good match. Um you know, I was glad to see Clark kind of get the nod. I, I figured he would, but then again, considering some of the guys that he lost to in the Super Juniors, you just never know. 
with, with how they may or may not be booking him. But um, pretty solid performance. I thought Hanma looked pretty good here. And this match was fun, didn't overstay its welcome. And, you know, Clark uh, beat him. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun, good match. Yeah, Clark got the one with the, the trophy kill powerbomb. It was good look for him and beating Hanma. Also, you know, Hanma is, you know, a quote-unquote, like, New Japan dad, a low on the card, but... Clark is still a, a junior and coming out of the dojo and beating heavyweight is definitely uh, a move in the right direction for him. One thing is when he hits people with the trophy kill, I've noticed that he, they either him or they have a uh, a hard time getting in position for a proper pinfall. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's, I don't know why it comes off kind of awkward sometimes. Yeah, I wonder if that's something that they can uh, work on and cleaning up a little bit because it's a great move, but the the follow up pin is always a little discombobulated. Yeah. Then the other AW All Olympic title first round qualifying match was the Stone Pit Bull Tomohiro Ishii defeating Yoshinobu Kanemaru 19 minutes and 37 seconds in one hell of a wrestling match. Yeah, I mean, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I'll take Ishii Kanemaru over Dax and. Will Ospreay. Oh wow. <laughs> it was a really awesome match. That's no that's no like it's not cap at all. This match yeah. fucking ruled. I was really surprised. So Kenamaru attacked Ishii's leg with the chair during the tag match the prior night. We've seen this MO before during tournament matches, most recently in the tournament match against uh Hiromu, which resulted in Kenamaru beating Hiromu with the figure four leg lock, and he attempted a similar uh, game plan and tactic against Ishii here. Kanemaru went all out with Ishii. And um, I feel like this was a better match for Kanemaru, who admittedly had a very good Super Juniors. This was better than any match he had in the Super Juniors this year. And, uh, like, for Ishii, I mean, again, it's just another day at work for him because he's been going, you know, month after month, night after night, going out and having stellar performances but you know i've been saying for kind of jokingly but for some time now that he should like cut a couple pounds and go down to the <laughs> to the junior division but like as great as this match was if this is what we would get out of it i'm like a hundred percent on board for junior tomohiro ishii run because this match was fucking great yeah this was an awesome matchup definitely notebook material you had kanamaru like you mentioned doing the same kind of strategy from super juniors going for all these uh, fast and quick roll-ups and, you know, really trying to get an upset on Ishii and then Ishii coming in with also the Never and Strong style. So you just had this interesting mix of styles and, of course, Kamaru also working on the leg like he attacked the, the night before. And so it was just a Super Junior match for Kamaru just elevated to the next level with Ishii doing the Strong style stuff and turned out to be a really great matchup. I, I went four stars uh, flat on it. Ishii gets the win and goes into the, qual- the finals. I gave it the... Tw- the quarter snowflake bump four and two five. It was mm. really awesome. Yeah, it was definitely. If you haven't seen this match, I would definitely say go out of your way to check this one out. And what was great was he kept doing these like drop kicks to the knee, you know. And they're like he he hit one, and then he he went like he was gonna suplex Ishii, and Ishii's like fuck yeah, and he just put him up. <laughs> Bam, Bam, brain you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, he beat him. But like it was, bro. There was a couple of times where like he had uh, Ishii in like. Uh, Figure four leg locks, and I was like, "Are they not gonna do Ishii in this match?" Right, yeah, and even some of those like quick roll ups he would do, like they timed those so like two point nine, where it's like, "Oh my gosh, like they're gonna pull upset here." Yeah, Kanemaru's underrated, and Ishii's just the best. 
can you believe that there's like there's rumors that had they done a 20 man tournament this year he wouldn't have made the cut and he almost didn't make the cut for this year's G1 yeah i saw those reports and that's crazy you know ishi is getting up in age and he's hitting that age limit where they typically start cutting people out of the G1 but i mean Dude, age ain't nothing but a number, especially for Ishii. This guy is still one of the best workers in the company, in the world. Like, I would keep Ishii in a G1 until, like, literally he cannot move anymore. <laughs> I'd be, yeah, I'd be furious if they didn't have Ishii in the G1. Like, right. for real. Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to have Yujiro Takahashi, but you know what, Ishii, you need to sit down on the sidelines. Like, Got to make room for Chase Owens. <laughs> Got to make room for David Finley. But Tomohiro Ishii, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's not your year. Maybe next year. <laughs> uh, then the main event of this show, we have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles on the line, and we have new champs, United Empires, Francesco, Akira, and TJP defeated Six or nine, Master Wato and Rizuka Gucci to become the new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. Why didn't they do the roll call of Junior Tag Team Champions before this match? Because they're not going to waste time and resources on that. <laughs> they should. If, if, these, if these titles really mean all that much, they need to have a roll call of all the Junior Tag Team Champions. All of them. I'm sure somebody suggested that, and Gato was like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but all joking aside, this match was very good. Very, very good. Um, maybe not quite as good as Ishii and Kanemaru, but I mean, I thought it was pretty, pretty decent. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't remember the last time I really enjoyed a junior heavyweight tag team title match this much. Seems like it's been a while. And I thought that they had a really great match and, um, you know, Francesco, Akira, and TJP were just great heels doing an awesome job cutting off the ring and isolating these guys, making it, you know, a very difficult and frustrating uh, experience for six or nine where they kept trying to get tags, and, you know, not being able to get the hot tags. And when they did, cutting them off and just, you know, they, they beat these guys pretty clean, but yeah. they, they did it in a heelish manner. And I, you know, this, this was like a Southern style throwback, honestly. Yeah, it was just really fun to have a, a new team in the mix like TJP and Francisco Akira challenging. And yeah, I thought it was a, a great matchup. And, you know, there were several great, you know, near falls towards the end. Uh, there was a point where Taguchi hit the Dodon on TJP. I was like, oh, I guess they're they're attaining and they kicked out there. And uh, there was a great spot where um, I think it was Taguchi had somebody, I think he had like um, Francisco Akira, like a figure four, and TJP broke up with the Mamba Splash. And, so there's a, lot, there's a lot of really cool back and forth, you know, near falls and great uh, double team sequences. And then the leaning tower finish that uh, Kira and TJP do is a, a great finish for them. They hit that at the end there to get the win and become the new champions, adding more gold to the United Empire. So now they're the junior tag champs. As of right now, Connor and Cobb are the heavyweight tag champs. And then Will Ospreay is the U.S. champion. So United Empire collecting gold. Yeah, I liked the setup of that um, Doomsday Stunner. And, you know, just before that, like, Akira hit a frog splash and then, you know, a, a moonsault on the outside. So it was, like, pretty pretty high-flying, like, and exciting the way that they did that. So, yeah, this match was very fun, very, very good. I definitely would recommend it. If you didn't see this show the 
at least the top two matches of the show get a, a big recommend for me. Yeah, and Akira is continuing to get over with the crowds. So, you know, the uh, Kira chants and claps, and they seem to really love Akira. And I, I'm digging him. I think it's a welcome addition to New Japan. I'm interested to see what him and TJP will do as champions. Yeah, I would have gone three and three quarters on this one. That's what I want also. So then uh, today's New Japan Roadshow, our man Doki opened the show, defeating Yuta Nakashima. Then we had Taichi defeating Rihoi Oiwa. The House of Torture defeated the Chaos team of Goto, Toriano, Yo, and Yoshihashi. Post-match, Evil cut a promo and uh, accepted the challenge of Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi for a never six-man title match. So they're going to run that back at some point. Uh, then we had the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare, Francisco Akira, and TJP defeating Wato Taguchi and Jado. Then the LIJ team of Bushi, Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeated Tenzan, Okada, Fujita, and Togi Makabe. Then we had the AEW All-Atlantic title qualifying final matchup between Tomohiro Ishii and Clark Connors, with Ishii defeating Clark Connors in 13 minutes and 21 seconds. Yeah, this match was um, maybe not quite the same high-level caliber of the Kanemaru and Ishii match, but um, it was very, very, like, it was really good. It was very fun. And um, it kind of followed a similar pattern that we've seen from, um, you know, I feel like Ishii has a couple different matches that he does, like maybe like three or four, and that's one of the reasons, reasons why he's able to, go out there and have so many great matches with different opponents. He like figures out what kind of story he wants to tell them. And I think he just kind of plugs them into, (laughs) into his like archetype of match. But in this one in particular, most of the match was built around, uh, Clark Connors just being like this super aggressive underdog and kind of trying to chop down, uh, Ishii. And it took him about seven minutes before he got Ishii off of his back. But once he did, he was, you know, pretty much in control, hitting him with Germans and lariats and, you know, all, all sorts of like power bombs and, and stiff, you know, headbutts, stuff like that. But, and at the same time, Ishii is still just being his like tough self, no selling everything, but he's still dealing with the leg injury. He kind of worked that leg injury all throughout the match. But ultimately, no matter how much of an onslaught Clark Connors brought, it was still kind of like, a proto young lion match where like the lion is giving everything he can, but ultimately it's not enough to, to <laughs> topple insurmountable Ishii who puts him up in the air, drops him on his head and gets him out of there. And I felt like a lot of the match was designed to make Clark look good and Ishii look tough because Clark got probably 80% of the offense. Yeah. This is a really like, a gritty, hard hitting matchup. Uh, I love a spot where Clark, you know, he goes ahead of, but Ishii and Ishii no sells it. Uh, but yeah, Clark was you know had tons of great chops. Like you mentioned, a lot of big layers, a lot of big uh, power moves. His his a uh, big power slam, spears. Uh, yeah, he a lot of his offense. He was looking for the spears uh, several points to take Ishii off his feet. Uh, his uh, his uh, jeep flip, which is his version of the pounce, he did hit that at one point on Ishii. So you know Clark has kind of been this power junior and going up against Ishii. He was trying to use that kind of power offense and. At the beginning, like you mentioned, it, it didn't really work at first until he really kind of grinded down Ishii, and there was uh, several good uh, near falls, and then towards the end there, he kept trying to go for the, the trophy kill power bomb, but Ishii kept fighting it off, and then finally he just hit this big lariat when Clark was rebounding from the ropes, and like you mentioned, hits him with the brain buster. One, two, three, 
Ishii is going to the AEW Forbidden Door pay-per-view this weekend in the four-way. One other thing I do want to criticize, too, about this. Um, it's great that we're getting Ishii, but if we're going to do a four-man tournament, um, I mean, I, I guess it was kind of fun, but, like, could we include any more credible individuals <laughs> other than Hama, Clark Connors, and <laughs> Anamaru? What was, what was the criteria? Dude, I'm sure, like, <laughs> they were like, Gail's like, all right, we're, we're, we're going to send Ishii to the match. And TK's like, no, you, you got to do a tournament. <laughs> Gail's like, what? I don't want you like, one. Like, no, you have Gail's to like, do I just did. I just did an eliminator on the pay-per-view. You want another? Oh, my God. All right. <laughs> Hanma. Well, we're, gonna, we're putting Oiwa in it. No. <laughs> oh, man. All right. All right, Tony, who do you want? Well, give me, give me Deathmatch Legend Tomoaki Hanma, because okay, I watched him a lot in Freedoms uh, and Big Japan. Oh, you know who's great? Give me Kenamaru from Noah, the greatest Noah Junior of all time. Junior Ace, <laughs> Junior Ace, and um, Clark Connors. I really like him. He's he's gonna be a big. He's blue people chipper. are gonna look blue chipper. People <laughs> are gonna look back on this tournament. They're gonna see the names involved. And they're gonna think, wow. You know. <laughs> Oh man. Gato's like, all right, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Speaking of which, we also uh, before we move on to the main event, we we were doing a bit in our group chat this week where I was like, what if they did have Tanahashi win the title, but then like he's not in America with it, he's just defending it in Japan, and they're like, All right, we're gonna kick it over live to Japan (laughs) as IWG or as AEW interim champion. Hiroshi Tanahashi defends next live from Cork and Hall against Tomoaki Hanma. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. It was just like, yeah, you know, coming up next after Jay Cargill, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, will face <laughs> Tomoaki Hanma in the main event. Stay tuned. <laughs> it's Wednesday. You know what that means? We're kicking it over to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Coming up next, the AEW interim champion, the ace of the universe, the once in a century talent. Hiroshi Tanahashi defends against the Unchained Gorilla, Togi Makabe, live from Hachinoe City East Gymnasium. Stay tuned. You want to listen to this, folks? <laughs> oh, man. It's like, why are we doing this? <laughs> uh, so the main event, IWGP Junior Heavyweight title, the best of the Super Junior winner, Hiromu Takahashi, challenged the champion, the Bone Soldier, Taji Ishimori, and he failed to defeat Ishimori. Ishimori retaining, defeating Hiromu in 36 minutes and 20 seconds. Yes. um, Very, very, very intense matchup here. Very long match went, you know, like you mentioned, just over 36 minutes. Um, You could kind of tell during the first half because they wrestled, I don't want to say a slower pace, but like a more measured pace. Mm -hmm. Very very intentional. Yeah, that they were definitely going to go long based on that. And the early story here, to nobody's surprise, was that it was a body part match. But um, with that being the case, I don't want to misrepresent what was happening. It was pretty awesome limb work from Taiji Ishimori, very inventive. Uh, They found a lot of, like, cool – and I mean, he's very good at that and has kind of shown that over the past couple of years – ever since he really started focusing on um, the yes lock and then the bone lock as being like his finishers ways to kind of work that body part. But um, it seemed like 
recently, within the past, say, three or four months, he's even expanded that to doing more kind of cool, fun, inventive ways to really change the momentum, shift momentum. And we saw, and I feel like the best examples of that were here in this match, catching um, Hiromu while they're, like, you know, um, exchanging slides and then catching the arm when you're not, when you're least expecting it. And then always kind of just going back to that, really doing a lot of nasty uh, attacks into the ring post and uh, misdirection as a heel, like, you know, acting like he's going to use the, um, the timekeeper's uh, hammer, throws that in the ring. So red shoes gets distracted and then picks up a chair, hits this guy in the arm. So just a lot of like kind of, dirty, nasty, kind of rough-looking um, heel work that really paid dividends later on deep into the match. And that was kind of the, the story here was like Hiromu being wild and reckless, still doing all his high-flying and, you know, and high, you know, octane offense. And then you have Ishimori over here. He's like, give me your arm. Yeah, he did his cool, like – um Tornado like armbar DDT to the outside to the floor to the outside yeah t- towards the beginning of the match like, I had never seen him do that before that was really cool and, like yeah he mentioned he just really you know put a bullseye on that arm and worked it throughout the whole matchup and uh, just doing a lot of cool stuff to get Hiromu's arm and like you mentioned Hiromu doing being wild and reckless um, there was a spot Ishimura gave Hiromu a pile driver on the apron uh, that was dope um, Ishimura they did a lot of stuff on the outside yeah. A lot of like moves that you wouldn't normally see people take or give on the outside. They were like very. I mean, they didn't brawl through the crowd like they did in their infamous Super Junior Finals match, but I feel like they were kind of hearkening back to some of that because they couldn't go into the audience, so they really kind of let loose on the outside, which was kind of surprising. Yeah, um, and Ishimori hit this awesome like reverse DT thing off the top rope. Uh, that was mm. great. Uh, yeah. Got- oh, that was scary because it looked like Hiromu was setting up for like uh He was going for a super time bomb too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Ishimori had to fight off of it, and then he did, like you said, like a reverse suplex, but he had to like jettison um Hiromu's body forward, like feet first. So he like had to do like almost like a reverse worm. Uh, there was a a lot of potential for that to go south. Yeah, potentially the way they did that one. That one was a little questionable. Yeah, but they uh, they pulled it off. Uh, Hiromu hitting a time bomb one for a near fall, and there were several near submissions with the bone lock. And Hiromu also he uses the, the the stunner now that we talked about, and so he was doing the stunner a lot of times, and uh, he did it a couple of different times in, the, in this match and tried to set up the the D submission hole. There was a great spot where like he he made Ishimori like throw a punch at him, and he got him into the the D triangle choke, and so. There's kind of several back and forth stuff like that um, until it came down to the end where Ishimori got him locked in the bone lock right in the middle of the ring. There was nowhere for Hiromu to go, and he had to tap out. Yeah, this match was pretty awesome. Um, Actually, was it? Did he tap him out, or did he pin him with the? Uh, no, no, he, he pinned him with the he pinned him with the bloody the bloody cross. That's right. Yeah, he beat him with the bloody cross. He didn't tap. Yeah, because he hit him right in the middle with the bloody. cross. It was a cool reversal. That's what it was. Yeah, cause he reversed the the time bomb two into the bloody cross. And pinned him in the middle. Right. Um, this was one where, well, just the match itself was pretty awesome. Um, I would say in terms of, like, the hierarchy of recent junior 
uh, matches that people like lauded, I would definitely rate this higher, in my opinion, than the finals of Super Juniors this year. I thought this was much better than Desperado Hiromo. But I didn't think it was in the same league as, say, El Fantasmo and uh, uh, Robbie Eagles to kind of give a comparison, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, but the match was still phenomenal. I mean, I've we've talked recently about how a lot of the junior style, like, title matches have kind of been capping at four for about a year, and there just seems to be a lack of, like, that fire drive to uh, kind of work to that next level. And I was a little nervous about this being, A, in Cork, and B, on New Japan Road, and C, when they walked out and they were in their, like, house show, house show attires, and, like, they weren't, like, dressed to the nines, you know, Ishimori didn't have extensions in his hair, <laughs> and, like... Hiromu didn't have a giant plush, fluffy, you know, coat. You know, he had, he had the short. Coat. He had the shorts on. Yeah, so I was like, Ugh, are these guys gonna like put in a, a a B level, you know, C level performance? But no, they went out there. I feel like for me, the three best matches they've ever had were their first Super Juniors encounter, the match they had at Wrestle Kingdom two years ago or three years ago, whatever that was, and then this match. I feel like this is still. Of the three, I think I liked those other two a little bit better than this, but this was still pretty awesome. I'm going four and a half on it. I was very surprised, though, at the finish, Um, but I guess with the post-match, it does sort of make sense why they did what they did, but I feel like you had Hiromu go back to back to back and kind of make... Desperado take this back seat who he was on Desperado was on commentary during this match, which kind of made you think that maybe he would get involved in the post match in some way or something like that. And then ultimately you're thinking Hiromu's going to re you know, regain the title again. Like he has so many times in the past, especially considering he beat Ishimori fair and, fair and square clean during the um, super juniors this past month. And then he loses, and not only does he lose, he loses pretty much clean, you know, as right. clean as it's going to be with, like, a heel like this. So that was pretty surprising to me that they that this was the booking decision. Right, and th- with that decision, it makes you really question, all right, did Herman really need to win Super Junior this year? Like, if the winner was just going to end up losing to Ishimori, is there not somebody else that, that could have gotten that spot? Could we have not thrown that to, like, a Robbie Eagles and have him right. go in there, kill it with Ishimori, and do everything else that you're planning to do. Like, I don't understand why it had to be Hiromu. And I think this decision really kind of pokes holes in, you know, Dave's in logic Dave's. of yep. Dave saying, oh, well, you know, they're going with Hiromu. He's a, he's a top star. The junior, they're yep. going to they're gonna put the belt on him because business is down. They need drawing power. Well, they just beat him. Uh, <laughs> Another thing too is like okay, this was great, and for those people that are diehards that that were up early this morning and saw it, they are very excited. And I'm sure the news is making the rounds, but the big show happened last week, not this week, not today, not this morning. It was last week. Now, granted, could Hiromu and Ishimori go out there and do a 36 minute epic during Dominion? 
Probably not, but then again, maybe they gave so many of those matches such little time on that card. Right. Like maybe they could have. Trim the fat. Get rid of Yano and Doc Gallows. <laughs> get rid of the That was only a four minute match. That's not gonna just save that much. Time. Get get rid of the United Empire <laughs> undercard match. Get there's a lot of undercard stuff that could have been cut to make room for this Hiromu Ishimori match. But getting to the to the point here, there was a post match after the match was over. Ishimori got on the mic and he said, you know, basically I defeated, I took the belt from the long reigning champion Desperado and then I beat the triple time, you know, back to back face of the, of the division Hiromu, you know, fair and square. I've, I basically beat the top two guys and there's no one else for me. You know, look at my record from the super juniors. Like this means I don't have to defend against any more challengers. Right. And he kind of said all this to like, you know, disgrace uh, Desperado, who's there on on commentary, and right as he's like saying all this, suddenly you hear the time splitter music, and the crowd just like loses their shit, and then suddenly out comes um, Kushida in street attire, comes down to the ring, and like you know, Ishimori's just like you know beside himself, upset can't believe it that this guy is back and he pretty much makes it known that he's signed a lifetime contract with new Japan. He's never going to leave again. He's here and he wants his belt back. And if you remember the last person to beat him for the title in the Tokyo dome, the match that I hated and reviled and buried six feet, seven feet under (laughs) was the match from wrestle kingdom with him. And, uh, Taiji Shimori. Dude, I'll, so in a certain, I'll never uh, forget how angry you were at that match. I was totally not expecting like you like like we were having this Wrestle, Wrestle Kingdom review like oh no we're talking about all the matches and then we get to that match and you just like lost it. <laughs> I'm, I still get mad when I think about that match. Um, but you know it that this whole thing was pretty awesome. But at the same time, how much more awesome would this have been had it happened at Dominion? Right. And, and, you know, Sakajo Hall. Is that where it was? Yeah, it's Sakajo yeah. Hall. That's exactly what I was thinking. I'm like, I, I, I get it. Uh, you want, you might want to give the juniors a main event here, and what? But Dominion is a big show. That's the show that you know the quote unquote casuals or other fans who don't watch New Japan all the time fly in and check out. They're oh, it's Dominion. Let me watch that. So you could have had this great junior match on Dominion, and you could have had the same follow up angle on Dominion. And then even more people would have been talking about, oh, Kushida is back versus just kind of seeing the clip being floating around on uh, Twitter today. But with that, I do think it's cool that Kushida is back. Like you mentioned, the crowd just lost their mind. They forgot about the noise mandate. They were cheering and screaming when Kushida's music hit and when he walked out to face off against Ishimori. Uh, He told Ishimori, they said that you you may think you have no challengers left, but you're wrong because I am back. And Ishimori told Kushida that he'll need to prove himself before getting a tile shot. And, and before Kushida uh, came out, Desperado was standing up to like, he's right. go in the ring, but then Kushida's music hit, so Kushida kind of jumping the line here, so it seems. But um, pretty interesting with Kushida being back, especially after, you know, part of, well, at least we think part of the reason why he left initially because he was kind of tired of being a junior, being a junior division. He wanted to move up to heavyweight, they they weren't moving up to heavyweight, and now here he is, kind of right back where he left off in the junior division. Yeah, I mean, 
definitely the the expectation was going to be that um that Kushida would be returning at some point you know i don't think that here on this podcast necessarily we talked about it extensively we didn't have like Kushida watch 2022 going on <laughs> but at the same time i mean it was discussed and i mean the reports have been out there so it's not like this was a huge surprise but it was a a welcome surprise nonetheless i just wish it happened on a bigger stage. I felt I feel like it would have been more impactful. And I think what a lot of people were anticipating was that th- there were rumors that Kushida was going to come back as a heel, and it would make more sense, given the long history between him and Hiromu, for if they really wanted to capitalize, quote-unquote, on Hiromu's stardom and put him in the, in the main picture, have him win the title, and then have a heel Kushida show up, and kick off this new phase of whatever was going to happen there. But, you know, a lot of the rumors, and still there's plenty of time for all this to change and, you know, see how it susses its way out. But as of right now, I mean, the guy that we saw, Kushida, show up, he showed up with the same music, the same VTR, you know. Uh, there's no reason at this point to believe that he's any different in terms of character than he was when he left. And, you know, there was a lot of... uh speculation about and and reports about like what he wanted to do character wise when he returned so you know i i do wonder like you mentioned jeremy is he going to be pigeonholed in this junior division once again or is there room for him to kind of like spread his wings going forward and do other things right he did uh decline the the rumors of what he wanted to do and being a heel. And like you mentioned, he said he's going to be with New Japan for the rest of his career. He is moving from Orlando to LA and says he's going to be on all the, you know, New Japan shows. So it seems like right now we're getting, you know, Babyface, time traveler, Kushida. Obviously, he could be working and maybe they do a swerve down the line where he does end up being a heel, maybe joining House of Torture to help them split from Bullet Club or, or join some other group. Uh, so that, that's still to be seen. But as of right now, it seems like we're getting face Kushida versus, you know, heel Ishimori whenever the next, you know, big junior title match will happen. Maybe G1 finals or sometime after that. Well, you know, um, I was I was spoiled going into this. So, I mean, it wasn't like a big surprise for me. I wish I wouldn't have been spoiled. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this is... I mean, Kushida's been one of my favorite guys over the past, you know, decade. So I'm very, very pleased that this is what's happening. And, you know, um, who knows? Maybe we see him show up on AEW in the future. I mean, not that that's the end-all be-all, but if he's going to be living here in the States, I mean, we're seeing a lot of crossover between guys that are featured out of L.A. and on Strong, you know, between those two brands. So, Yeah, and also he'd he'd be great to be on Strong whenever they do stuff in L.A. Right, uh, exactly. I have a couple questions here. Uh, Key Director 3748 says, would Hiromu already be competing in heavyweight if he had fought Naito at the anniversary show in 2020 and had a good showing? I'm still waiting for this match to happen. No. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, of course, anything's possible. But, I mean, we've seen him have incredible showings against all sorts of other heavyweights not named Naito, so and that hasn't necessarily opened the doors one way or the other. So, you know, it was an anniversary show, right? The, tip, the typical heavyweight champ versus junior champ would have been a, a great matchup, the crowd would have loved it, but yeah, I think Naito, or Hiromi would still be a junior regardless, yeah. 
Uh, then Les Commission 7252 asks, with Kushida back in the junior heavyweight division, do you think New Japan should do the Wrestle Kingdom 12 for a match for the junior heavyweight championship with Ishimori, Desperado, Hiromu, and Kushida at next year's Wrestle Kingdom? The story is there with Kushida wanting to avenge his loss to Ishimori three years ago. Ishimori to prove he's still a top champion in the junior division. Hiromu avenging his loss here against Ishimori and Desperado. Tired of being the background of the junior division and... Now time to take the torch from Hiromu and take charge as the new head of the junior division. Do you know, do you want to know the secret, Jeremy? Here's the secret that no one's wanting to say, but it's the truth. And it, I don't think it's ever dawned on me until this moment. The juniors are to New Japan as the women's division are to WWE. Oh, wow. <laughs> And they're trying to break that barrier and main event of WrestleMania. <laughs> you uh, know, and it's like, it, it sounds like, no offense to Les Commission, but his idea here is to take the top four guys and maybe have them face off in a top-level match on one of those two nights to maybe, you know, main event. It, it reminds me of a time when they were talking about Sasha and Bailey and you know, Charlotte, Becky Lynch. It's like, maybe if we get enough of these girls together, they might be able to go out there and perform well enough to have a meaningful match at a WrestleMania. You know, that's what it sounds like. It, it, it really does. But, I mean, eventually, I mean, we, we have had a couple uh, women's main events in Mania now. And, of course, that's all thanks to Stephanie McMahon. Uh, Thank the, you, Stephanie. The interim CEO of WWE. And so I, I think – The greatest. The history of WWE. Yeah, I, I think I think Gail needs to call Stephanie to book the junior division. Stephanie <laughs> will fight for junior equality, and she will make sure that the juniors main event. The junior revo- revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Give juniors a what chance. If, what if they change their names? Remember, they were di- they were divas, and right. then they changed them to women. What if they're no longer juniors? What if they're cruiserweights? Yeah, or light heavyweights. Yeah. Something to think about. All right, uh, let's move on now. Also on these uh, these New Japan Roadshows, we did get some announcements for the G1 Climax 32. We got the block announcements, and we got the schedule. So like we talked about last week, we have a four-block G1 tournament. Um, so in the A block, we have Kazuchika Okada, Toriano, Filthy Tom Lawler, Jeff Cobb, Jonah, Bad Luck Fale and Lance Archer in the B Block, Switchblade, Jay White, Tomohiro Ishii, Sonata, Tamatanga, Great Okan, Chase Owens, and Taichi. In the C Block, the Ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Hiroki Goto, Tetsuya Naito, Zack Sabre Jr., Aaron Hanare, Kenta, and Evil. And then in the D Block, Will Ospreay, Yoshihashi, Shingo Takagi, David Finley, Juice Robinson, El Fantasmo and Yujiro Takahashi. One thing I loved was when they made the announcement for the blocks. Normally the graphics, right, for a G1, normally you just have, like, all the people kind of shown on the graphic, you know, parody-based, maybe, like, in little blocks. This year they just, because there's seven guys, they decided to have one dude front and center and then the rest of the guys kind of, like, V off. Yeah. And whoever was in the center, I'm not saying they're going to win the block, but they made the biggest star of each block the in guy the center. in the center. <laughs> so, like, in A block, it's Okada, 
and friends. In B block, it's Jay White and friends. In C block, it's Tanahashi and friends. And in D block, it's Will Ospreay and friends. And like I, I saw that and I was like, they're not being subtle about this whatsoever. Right. Like here your your semifinalists right here. <laughs> like if hypothetically we wind up with a situ like a scenario where Okada, Jay White, Tanahashi, and Will Ospreay win their respective blocks, I won't be surprised at all. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we'll we'll do a a big uh, preview and prediction show, but I mean, especially when you look at that A block and who's in there for Okada, I'm like, to me, Jeff Cobb is probably the only other threat to win that block. So it definitely seems like the A block belongs to Okada. A block is interesting because it's a very divisive block. I think for people that are actively watching New Japan and are it's still very much invested in the characters that are involved in that block. They're like salivating over it. They're like, it's the beefy block. You know, there's an incredible story there because Okada, you know, being the the face of the company and then he's stuck with a bunch of killers and Tom Lawler and Yano. And, um, but then for a lot of the like more kind of casual New Japan viewers, like the people who like maybe only do parachute in for like say a G1 and maybe a Wrestle Kingdom and some of the big events, they're looking at the other blocks. Like those look a lot like D block, C block. Those those are looking a lot more attractive than the monster block of A block with like you know Fale and Yano and Jonah. You know what I mean? So right. I think that's that's that block is one that's really kind of split opinions as far as from what I've seen. Yeah, it really depends on how you feel about like Yano, uh, right? What your thoughts are on Jonah? I mean, he's kind of really hasn't done too much yet since he's left WWE. I mean, he's kind of been on strongly reformed TMDK, but he hasn't really had any standout matches yet. So, kind of how you feel about him, and there might be some people who really don't know Fifty Tom. So, kind of like. Depending on your level of investment, there's a lot of unknowns. And for Archer as well, depending on how you see Archer, you, some people might still see him as just the killer elite squad guy. Some people might just see him as the, you know, tile challenger of the month in AEW uh, who loses a lot. And so uh, people well, might. One, a few things here. Um, and again, we're not going to do a whole review, but like I've called for them to do four blocks for quite a while. They're doing it. And I also in the past have laid out all the positives about it. What we've kind of failed to do is kind of highlight what maybe some of the detractions might potentially be. And I think some of those things are on display here. You know, one of the things I've always highlighted as a positive is like you save a lot of your bigger marquee matches for down the road. So you don't burn through as much of your, your booking possibility. But when you have individuals in the tournament that maybe aren't necessarily like the most desirable, like say a Yano or an Evil or a Chase Owens, and you put enough of those types of characters in uh, a split tournament like this, you might, and I think that that's what we're seeing here, you might wind up with a more diluted G1 that isn't as chock full of classic matchups or even potential matchups as you normally would see throughout the regular tournament. And that, that is something I'm a little concerned about. The other thing too is scheduling. We, we also got the schedule for the tournament on night uh, on the last night of new Japan road. And 
it's weird looking, honestly. Yeah, it's a very weird schedule. Um, yeah, so definitely with how it's played out, it's it's going to be weird. And yeah, there might be a lack of great matchups, kind of like what we're what we're used to with a two block format. And I, I feel bad for a guy like you know Filthy Tom, first time in Japan, like. He's not getting a ton of like really cool matchups. Obviously, the Okada match is going to be a big one for him. But a lot of the other guys, like he could face like Archer and Cobb in the states. Like it would have been cool for him to mix it up with more like you know Ishi and Sonata and guys like that. Goto, guys that he pr- doesn't really get a chance to mix it up with. Right. Yeah, that's true. But uh, you know, the other thing though, we we've, we've talked about how like if they get more rest hypothetically this might equate to them having better performances and be being willing to go out there and, and put more more of themselves into the matches and hopefully that you know plays out to be the case yeah definitely so you want to take a look at the schedule now yeah we can run through it i mean it's one of the things that's just kind of confusing not even really confusing but just sort of like uh I didn't expect them to do this. It looks like most of the nights, not all nights, but most of the nights they have one match from each block represented on the card. So, like, for instance, on July 16th, they have Okada versus Cobb. That's the A block match. Sonata versus White, that's the B block match. Tanahashi versus Hanari, that's the C block match. And then Osprey versus Phantasmo, that's the D block match. And they kind of have a similar trend going all throughout the tournament, which I was expecting we'd have like A block nights, B block nights, C block nights, D block nights, something more traditional, or even maybe combined A and B and a C and D, but that's not really what they decided to do here. And it's kind of confused me a bit. Yeah. It's really weird. Normally a lot of times they'll announce like the big main events and then they don't show you the rest of the card sometimes. So when right. I saw the match graphics, I'm like, oh, they're showing like the highlight matches of the night, and then you know the undercard will have other block matchups. But when I looked at it, I was like, I went on the website, I was like, oh nope, this is actually just what they're doing. Just these four block matches will be happening, while everybody else is either going to be, I guess, off or in undercard tags, um, and we're going to go with this model. So it's definitely weird, interesting, but I do feel like. Mixing the blocks might give us better cards overall, though. Possibly. At the same time, I mean, you're getting, um, you know, some. it's just weird. Some nights you're just getting four block matches. Some nights you're getting five. Some nights you're getting six. I, I don't know. I guess they had to probably, like, do a lot of, like, math work to to get this to all fit. And then... You know, on the final night, August 16th, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight block matches. And obviously most of that, well, that's going to be the determinant night to kind of um, establish the winner of each block. And we still don't know, once we have a winner from each block, how the playoffs are really going to work, whether it's A versus B or A versus D or what have you. We don't know. Right, because we've seen that in the past when they've done semifinals in round robins, they have mixed it up. They've done like A versus C or B versus they've, they've mixed it up, and so not quite sure how they're going to do it here. 
Also, too, the, the, I guess maybe another maybe detractor of mixing the blocks up is when you look at this August 16th, you know, the, the last block night, it seems pretty clear, like, clearly these are the matches that are going to be somewhat determining of who's going to win the blocks. So if certain block matches not happening, it kind of kills the excitement for those matchups. When you look at the, the matchups here, you're like, oh, well, clearly, like, D-block, it's Shingo versus Fantasmo and Osprey versus Juice, like, Clearly, like, Shingo and Osprey are going to be the two that are in contention, and one of those guys can get spoiled. Then you have Naito and Sabre. It's like, well, clearly that's going to be the, the terminal for C block. And then you have uh, B block with Tanatanga and Jay White and Ishii and Sonata. Like, those are going to be the two those are guys going for it. So it kind of really hurts your that's, ex. That's possible. But, I mean, you know, I don't want to uh, lean into that too much just yet because, I mean, if you look at August 14th, for example, Tanahashi versus Kenta is a C block match, and then neither of them have any more matches going into August 16th. Who's to say that? I mean, that's a pretty big match in and of itself. Right. Who's to say that how C, how the C block uh, matches fall on the final night couldn't result in the winner of Tanahashi Kenta still going through? You know what I mean? Right. Like Tanahashi has the the advantage, and then. Like Saber and Naito go to a draw, and that, that gets Tanahashi through something like that. Something like that could happen, yeah. and I do think that um, that is one of the nice things about the format. Is in the past we have been able to look at the finals and get a pretty uh, open and shut case of like what we think that this is going to lead to. It's pretty easy to tell. This one, I'm not so sure that it's as easy. You know, I, I think that you're definitely onto something there because, I mean, I, I did the same thing, too. It's my first natural instinct. Just go look at the finals, see what it's uh, – but they, they've done a pretty good job mixing a lot of these matches where I'm like, there's a lot of people that could be alive, especially since, again, it's A, B, C, D block. It's hard to rule out anybody because anybody could be alive going into the playoffs. It's right. just playoffs. We don't know what's going to happen from that point. And I think that that's kind of the fun, you know, exciting part of it as well. Yeah. So yeah, definitely adding that could mix some things up. And also there, there are some matchups like also like Jonah and bad luck file on the final. I don't think that's really going to be a block determiner, but that, that winner of that could like bump, I don't know, Cobb and Lawler or somebody else from the a block to, to win the block you're mentioning. Right. So yeah, it's it's definitely one to. Uh, I mean, we're we're going to be doing a, a contest this year, but this is going to be the probably most difficult that any you know difficult contest we've ever done as far as just tracking it on our end, but also for those of you that are involved in it. I mean, I'm looking at it and I, I have no idea who's winning the G1 this year. Yeah, I kind of have some ideas of who I think will win. I'll save that for our uh, prediction show. But, I mean, there are a lot of guys who, who can win this thing, though. Well, we have a few questions regarding this these announcements. So we should probably get into them. Yeah, so uh, PSAN91 says, which of the announced G1 blocks are you guys most looking forward to? For me, it has got to be the C block that has the most potential for bangers. Yeah, I think I agree with him there. I mean, it's kind of hard to discount that. Uh, Oh, you know what? No, I'm sorry. That is a great block, but it's got for me. It's got to be D block. That's the one that stands out the most to me. I mean, you got Osprey and Shingo, and Juice and ELP in there, 
And then the three guys who were like low man on the totem pole, Yoshihashi, David Finley, and Yujiro, have all shown themselves to be able to go out there and have great matches when called upon to do so. And they have the right dance partners to do that with. So for me, this is the best block easily. Yeah, I think on paper, C might look better because you're going to get Tanahashi Naito or you're going to get Tanahashi Saber, you're going to get Saber Naito. You're going to get some big matches, Tanahashi, Kenta, Saber, Kenta. There's some like big matchups that historically have been great. But like you said, when you look at that D block, though, it's like, to me, it's going to be the Osprey and Chingo Challenge. Like These guys are going to give everybody like four-star matches the whole the whole block. You know, Osprey can have a great match with anybody. So everybody he faces, he's going to elevate and it's going to be great matches. The same thing for Shingo. So both those guys are going to elevate everybody. And then, you, like you mentioned, Dave Finley has something to prove. First G1, you know, he's been trying to get in there forever. Like, he has a chip on his shoulder. Juice is going to be coming back from injury and he has a snow heel push. He's going to be trying to make a name for himself. ELP is going to be trying to make a name for himself. And so is Yoshihashi. They're only really done in this block as Yujiro, but... We've seen when Yujiro is in there with guys like Osprey and Chingo, he's going to have a pretty good matchup. So I think D block is going to end up being the block that probably overperforms that people are not paying attention to. I agree. Uh, the next question he had, he talked about waiting to see the lineups before getting tickets. Uh, you know, for the shows there in Tokyo, the lineups are out, and I'm sure some of those Tokyo shows are probably going to be worth a uh, while to attend. He also mentioned um, the match like the structure of the shows. How did we think that that was going to play out? But we now have the, the structures. We already discussed that. So we, we know it's going to be a conglomerate of A, B, C, and D block matches each night, as opposed to single nights of A, B, C, or D, which is interesting. Right. The only um, question mark there is the, is the semi-final that we talked about. We don't know how that, that's going to be yet. He did ask, do you think they will go back to having undercard tags now that there are less COVID restrictions, or will we just be having all singles matches like the past two years? And I got to tell you, I think that they will be having undercard tags just because they're going to be touring a lot and they're only doing some nights four matches. It seems to me like they're going to have to have undercards. Right. The last time they've done four match cards was, was during COVID and, and empty buildings. Well, since they've been touring, they've been doing at least seven match cards. So uh, at most, there will be at least three undercard matches, if not four on a lot of these cards. Uh, so then uh, moving on to Hawaiian Punch BV, he says, uh, Dave Finley is the first wrestler ever to win the C block. Now he's the first wrestler to compete in the C and D blocks. Will mm-hmm. Finley be the first to win both C and D blocks? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> De- definitely a missed opportunity here to put uh, Finley in the C block. Yeah. Uh, Key Director 3748 says, I assume with Hiromi winning the best of Super Juniors, they would be moving Despi up to heavyweight, where I think he fits better than Hiromu. I was very disappointed to see he was not in the G1. He, like Shingo, in his first, could have been the pin eater in a block instead of Yujiro or even Chase, but he still could have had at least one great win over a guy like Ishii or Goto, someone who could have won the block if not for a random loss to Desperado. What do you guys think of Desperado and heavyweight and where he could have fit in this G1? That's a great question. You know, I I think that there's something to that because we've seen Desperado have 
some pretty compelling matches with heavyweights, whether it was Shingo for the Never title, whether it was Okada during this past year's New Japan Cup. Uh, we've seen him wrestle, I believe, what, Ishii as well? Yeah, didn't he wrestle Ishii on New Japan Cup? Something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've seen him have some open weight, you know, style matches. Um, but with that being the, being said, I don't know that it, Here's my concern. I think that he's a great wrestler, but I feel like he's finally made a home for himself in the junior division where he's like a top guy. And if you move him up to heavyweight, I don't think that he necessarily has the personality, build, or charisma to get pushed in the same way. Like, say, you you mentioned Shingo. Sure, Shingo ate a lot of pinfalls that first G1, but his wrestling was so dynamic that, like, within – a couple of years he was the world champion and a top guy in the company and i just can't see that happening for i personally struggle with hiromu that's my concern with hiromu getting moved up and i have more concern for desperado i i like desperado a lot but i just feel like if he got moved up he'd get lost in the shuffle and he'd be like i i hate to say it but within a few years a guy like yujiro or david finley or someone like that i don't know if that would be a good move for him yeah, you know, he compared them to Shingo. When you look at the kayfabe, like, Shingo destroyed the junior division. Like, literally beat everybody except Will Ospreay and then went to heavyweight. And you look at Desperado, who's a guy who's struggled with some junior heavyweight. So, also a guy like Shingo, who's kind of mopped the division. It made a lot of sense, like, kayfabe-wise and business-wise to move him up to heavyweight and see what he could do there. Uh, for Desperado, I definitely think, I don't know, like I mentioned, I think his bread and butter is going to be in the junior division. Maybe at some point, could they put him in a G1? Sure, but I don't think you want to really hurt him. I don't think every junior that goes in the G1 is always the beneficial thing to do. I mean, we've seen in the past, like Liger wasn't in G1s, and I don't think that it really did a lot for him and being a heavyweight. Um, and so I think for a guy like Desperado, I think focusing on being a top junior and not eating a ton of pinfalls in the G1 would be better off. I mean, at some point, maybe, yes, they could move him up. I mean, there have been a few occasions where, like, I'm like, wow, this guy really does have something, and maybe if he were to be able to capture that and take that up to heavyweight and really, you know, get a following, possibly. But, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, for instance, just kind of give you an, an example, a guy like Tai Chi has started to finally get some of that same sort of like public support. It's not doing a, a lot of wonders for him even. You know right. what I mean? He's, like, he's still kind of booked as a, as a mid-carter. Right. So those, those are my concerns. Uh, Les Commission 7252 says, will there be a G1 Pick'ems contest this year? Yes, we are planning – on doing a contest, also, like I was saying, we still need to kind of figure out how they're going to do some of the finals so we can get that uh, bracket together and get that out for you guys to enter in. Uh, also, asks says the D block is a predictable pin eater block for Osprey and Takagi to get their points at the end, in my opinion. My question is, which block do you guys believe will have the best matchups? This year's block has no factions other than Bull Club facing one another, so there will be fresh and watchable rematches that we all can enjoy, and this has been the best lineups we've had in a G1 since the pandemic had started, and hopefully every year or so it keeps getting better like this. Um, I guess I could mostly agree with that. I don't know if I feel... Here's, here's the thing. I'm, I'm hesitant to co-sign that and say this is the best lineup for G1 because we've never done this format, 
and I don't know what it's going to look like in, in practice. You know what I mean? And maybe it, maybe we're, you know, a few months from now, just talking about how legendary and incredible this was. And then maybe in a few months we're talking about, maybe they should go back to two blocks and 20 guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, there are a lot of good points there. Uh, I do think that it's great that we're having less faction um, matchups in the tournament, at least up until the finals, and save for a few bullet club uh, exceptions. And I, I also think it's interesting with, like, for instance, D Block. He mentions Os- he thinks Osprey and Takagi are going to be the the major point leaders of that block, and that probably is the case. But the idea that only one of those two guys can go through to the semifinals, not even the finals, but like only one of them is going to get to go through to vie to go through, you know, that last little gauntlet. That's kind of interesting in a way to think of it that way. It's like you got two top stars and the, in the and one of them is getting knocked out, you know? Yeah. But I wouldn't, you know, also I do think they're going to be two top guys, but I don't think there's going to be, you know, pinning a bunch of people. I mean, also you, you have Juice Robinson in here who's coming off of a big heel push. I think he's, going to get some wins and be in contention to potentially uh, be in a block final. Also, I don't think Dave Finley is going to, to get a ton of wins here, but again, maybe this is a start of something for him. And with Phantasmo, we really don't know what the plans are. If they are going to go full-on heavyweight with him from here on out, he might get some surprise wins here. And again, that last night with him and Osprey, that, that could be the match that kicks Osprey out of the contention. And then that could really, you know, start some things for ELP and push him forward. Right. But keep in mind too, these guys only have six matches in each block, not the standard nine that we're accustomed to. So a win or a loss carries a lot more weight than it did in the past. Yeah. And that probably shrinks the field of potential upsets. You know, the things that we're used to from the G1, that unpredictability, I'm sure it's still going to be there but maybe not to the same level that we're used to. I feel like this, because like, for instance, this past year with New Japan Cup, we saw New Japan Cup unfold in a way that we've never seen it unfold before. I won't be surprised if we see this year's G1 unfold in a somewhat similar fashion. I don't expect personally that some like, up-and-coming no-name guy wins his block by hook or crook and then makes it into those semifinals. I feel like they're going to set it up for, like, a top one or two star from each block to be the ones that come through, and that means a lot less losses for those types of, you know, wrestlers. Yeah. A lot less parity, too. Yeah, which is good. Um, and Varsha's question about who has the best, which block will have the best matchups, kind of like we already said, I feel like looking on paper, C block might be the, the tempting one to say that's going to be the best matchups, but I still think the D block with having Osprey and Chingo in there, I think the D block is probably going to produce the best matchups. So he wants us to go ahead and rank and rate with a grade each block. And I have my opinion. I don't know if you want to do it separately. I could do it pretty quickly, I think. Uh, yeah, we can, we can do it one by one and give our grades. So for me, for D block, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to give them an A because I think all around that's probably the best block. 
I'm going to give B block a B. I'm going to give C block a B minus. And then I'm going to give A block a C plus. And that is pretty much my ranking. I've got D block first. This could be surprising to people, but I got B block in the in the second up uh, place. You look at that field, Jay White, Tomohiro Ishii, Sonata, Tamatonga, Great Okan, Chase Owens, and Taichi. There's very little fluff in that group. There's a lot of compelling, fresh, new matchups that, you know, and then a lot of classic ones that we've seen as well. And that just seems like the more exciting group. I know that C Block has Tanahashi and Zach and Kenta, but they also got Hanare. They also got Evil. They got Goto, who is a great wrestler, but kind of boring. And Naito has kind of seen the best years pass him by. I, I'm not convinced that C Block is better than B Block for me personally. And then A Block, I think, is compelling and might surprise a lot of people. But on paper, it's just not the same caliber of, of match quality that the other blocks have. So that's my ranking. I'm going D, B, C, A. Yeah, I think mine's gonna be pretty similar. I think I have D number one. Um, I'm kind of torn between B and C, um, because I mean, if Tanahashi and Naito have a banger, if Tanahashi and Saber, if Saber and Naito like that, there's a lot of you know matchups there that could really propel that block up. I, I do see what you're saying. Also, there's Evil in there. There's Kenta. We don't know how he's gonna be. There's Aaron Hanare, who also works hard, but he's not that that top level. Let's also keep in mind that Tanahashi hasn't really had the type of G1s he used to have in a long time. You know, he he, he will have some great matches, but he'll also have a lot of just, like, so-so matches because it's right. he's not going to go all out. But with less matchups, maybe he, he'll be more tempted to go all out. And there was that Naito match a couple of years ago in the G1. It was just absolutely, like, killer on that, that first night. And so... If that happened, then Saber has been on, on a, a fire roll lately. So if Saber's out there and getting great matches out of people, like this mat, this block could end up being really, really good. Uh, right. And then the B block is obviously got Ishii in there. You're gonna have the Bayface Tamatanga, Jay White, Great Okan, Tai Chi. Uh, yeah. Well, I think about it a little bit more. <laughs> or when you think of when you, th- that's what I was saying. When you think about it for half a second and you look at them and you're like, Tai Chi and Ishii? Right. Come on, bro. Like, and Babyface Tamatanga and and Champion Jay White and, you know what I mean, and Okan who's surging right now and Chase Owens who always kind of surprises and rarely puts in a bad performance. Who You know who the, the low man on this group is Sonata. Sonata, who's a great wrestler, who's had classic matches in the G1 and, and usually turns up for G1. I don't know, man. Yeah, I think I'm going to give B the slight edge over C, so y'all go D, B, C, and A. That's my rankings for them. Same rankings. Yeah. All right, let's see here. So that was the last question. So that wraps it up for G1 blocks and schedules. Any other final thoughts before we move on to New Japan Strong? It's going to be interesting. Let's get into Strong real quick. All right, so, yeah, we had uh, night three of the collision tour for New Japan Strong in Philadelphia. The show opened up. We had Jarrell Nelson, J.R. Kratos, and Royce Isaacs of Team Filthy defeating the Android, Alex Coughlin, Kevin Knight, and the DKC, 9 minutes and 21 seconds. I, I saw a lot of people criticizing Alex Coughlin's, um, what, is he a cyborg or android? Android. 
Okay. Yeah, I saw people really criticizing it, talking about how shitty it looked and it was so hokey. I thought it was pretty cool. I don't know, man. Uh, I, I mean, I thought like part of I wasn't really digging like the spider claw looking things coming out of the his armor. Uh, I don't know, man. Like to me, it's like okay, what what's the big complaint been so far about these LA dojo guys? You know, they're all kind of generic. They don't they, they don't really stand out aside from the great look and the great work. Like they don't have established characters. And then Coughlin goes out there and tries something different, and everyone wants to like crap on him for it. And I'm like. I don't know. I thought it was kind of cool. Like, uh, but then again, I liked Glacier growing, up, so <laughs> that tells you what kind of. Like, I think that the light up mask is cool. I think part of the armor could be cool. This the the, the cloth things were a little bit kind of ho- hokey for me, but I mean, like I said, it, it's something different, and I think it'll make them stand out for sure. Also, I love the Legion of Doom and Demolition, so I mean, that's going to tell you. I'm going <laughs> to like a person that comes out in body armor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so he had his uh, big debut here, this new gimmick uh, as the android and continuing the feud be him, between him and Jared Kratos. Uh, post-match, him and Kratos continued to brawl up and down the arena, not paying attention to the match result what was happening in the matchup. So um, it seems like down the line we are going to get a singles matchup a rematch with Jr. Kratos and um, Alex Coughlin and... Yeah, they're they're always fun when they interact together, and Kratos gets so much heat, and they kind of do the same spots where Coughlin finally gets the big belly to belly and takes Kratos over, and the crowd always goes crazy for it. Bro, I, we see it on Strong all the time, and I still go crazy for it, so it's working. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, then after that, we had Arya Davari defeating Delirious, uh, former Ring of Honor star, Ring of Honor Booker, ten minutes and fifteen seconds. This was like. Six minutes and 15 seconds too long, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was there. Again, I'm, I'm not a, the biggest fan of, of Davari, especially in, in a New Japan setting. And Delirious, I've never really been the biggest fan of, of him either. So, Well, I was liking what they were doing with Davari's character, and then he went full heel, and I was like, okay, are they going somewhere with this? But now it's just kind of like, all right, he's just heel. Yeah. And for some reason, did... Correct me if I'm wrong. He didn't even use his carpet in this match, right? No, he didn't use the carpet. He really didn't really cheat all that much because the whole thing was he was trying not to cheat. Right. And then he was losing. And then he started, he cheated like one match, turned heel, and then like, but he didn't cheat really but, in this one. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I was just confused, but yeah. whatever. Uh, then we had Brody King defeating Jake something, eight minutes and 27 seconds. Nice little Hoss fight here. Yeah. I. It was fine. I think Jake something has a good look. Um, if I understand, I, I Googled him. It looks like he's not with Impact anymore, so maybe he's looking to get signed somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, his Impact contract, I think, ended about a month ago, I believe. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've been a fan of Jake something since we saw him at AAW uh, all in weekend. I thought he had a good look, and he's a you know good Hoss wrestler and had a good hard-hitting uh, matchup here with uh, Brody King, and I would look, like to see him back here on Strong. I, you know what's funny is, like, I get Jake something and Kurt Stallion mixed up. Mm. And I'm like, man, he looks different. He really bulked <laughs> up since last time I saw Bulked up, got, grew his hair got, out, got a beard. Put in some work, man. Like, <laughs> God dang. <laughs> uh, then the big main event here, the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, defeated Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson 13 minutes and 15 seconds. You know, um... 
all the controversies which the company has never addressed and I'm still waiting to see if you know I've seen Chris put stuff out be like you know I've seen him put stuff out there that like vilif you know vilifies the people accusing him but like I haven't seen any actual proof to <laughs> right. showcase whether his like stance is accurate or not or truthful I don't know and not and you know the company's radio silent on all of it so it was very surprising they even did this match in the first place but um putting all that aside I mean if you would have told me that Tanahashi against Chris Dickens was happening I would have thought like yeah that match is gonna rule I I really wasn't that impressed with this match and that's not I, and that's not big, me being influenced by the controversies that I just mentioned. I didn't think this match was that good. It was okay. It was okay, for sure. But compared to a lot of the stuff we've seen from Chris Dickinson on New Japan Strong, this was not anywhere near the level or caliber of his output. Now, I did see earlier today, he posted something on like social media talking about how there were friends of his that compared this to like Muto and Takata from 95. And I can definitely see those comparisons. I mean, Tanahashi, you know, being like a Muto disciple and Takata being a guy that Dickinson really like borrows from and looks up to even dresses like him. And, you know, it seemed like they were working a similar style match, you know, catch style, strong style versus like shoot style, you know, and they were working like the legs with like the dragon screws and all the, the Muda locks and the figure four leg locks. And that was cool, but it just felt a little bit too homage to me. And, you know, it's not all on Chris either. I thought Chris looked pretty good here. You know, who I felt like maybe didn't look his best was Tanahashi. I'm not saying that that's because he wasn't his best. I mean, you know, Tanahashi definitely knows when to like turn up and when not to. And this on this night in the, 2300 arena against Chris Dickinson in the middle of the card. I don't know if he felt the need to like, you know, be the ace on that evening, but uh, I don't know. I just felt like it was an okay match. I'd probably go like three and a quarter, but considering the names involved, I just really thought, and and it was a main event for this episode. I thought it's going to be really something special. Isn't it? Yeah. I was, it's I was just kind of average. Yeah. I was underwhelmed too. It definitely felt like Tanahashi was just doing the house show match. Like, right. Gonna go out there, have a nice solid, you know, matchup. We'll do some holds, some reversals. I'll hit you with a high fly flow. Get out of here, kid. And That's what it felt like. Yeah, like I, I, we've seen Dickinson have some wars on here, have some great matchups, and this just wasn't it. And honestly, I've kind of felt like since Dickinson returned from injury on strong, like his matches haven't. Yeah, yeah have, I know. Have been a little bit weird, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I agree, and I mean. Who knows? He really came back from that injury in record time. And I mean, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I can't say if like maybe he came back too soon or not. But I mean, the work might seem like that could be the the case, you know. Yeah. Also, again, there's there were those allegations around this exact same time. And who knows what kind of uh toll that might have taken on him from like a psyche standpoint. I don't know. But right, uh, yeah. Even the crowd, they, they definitely popped for the finish, but for the majority of the match, they were pretty quiet. And I, right. I was surprised by that. They popped for the entrances. They got got big Tanahashi chants, and then they were quiet during the match. Do you think that the extenuating circumstances could have potentially influenced that as well? Probably, yeah. yeah I mean, it's I'm, Philadelphia. I'm, they're, they're a pretty smart crowd. 
That's what I'm thinking too. Yeah. Also, they're Phillies. So they're kind of assholes anyway. So. Right. <laughs> well, uh, but um, yeah, you compare that Dickinson match. Compare this to like his match with like Suzuki on Strong. You know what I mean? Right. Completely different. Night and day. Yeah. So uh, next week we'll have night four of the Collision Tour, the main event, the Strong Openweight Championship matchup with Filthy Tom Lawler, defend, defending against Fred Rosser. If Rosser loses, he has to leave New Japan Strong. We'll also have Minoru Suzuki versus Tony Deppin and David Finley versus Danny Limelight. Now, the- honestly, I mean, top to bottom, that sounds like a much better show just because Suzuki Deppin sounds awesome. Lawler roster has has been awesome the last two times, and then Finley Limelight's probably gonna be fun. So, yeah, and then we also got the brackets for the strong open weight tag team championship tournament, which uh, was filmed. The first rounds are filmed this past weekend on the Ignition Tour in L.A. So the team, so on the left of the bracket, uh, originally, which was uh, supposed to be Christopher Daniels and Carl Fredericks, Fredericks was replaced by. Yuya Uemura, and that kind of plays into our first news story. Uh, Fredericks kind of went on this kind of crazy uh, tirade on Twitter when he wasn't announced as a G1 participant and was very upset that he wasn't in the G1. And it seems like those comments have come to bite him in the butt, and he was off of this tournament, off this tour. So we're going to have Daniels and Yuya Uemura taking on the factory of Nick Comoroto and Aaron Solo. Then on the bottom half of the left bracket, it'll be... TMDK, Mikey Nichols, and Shane Hayes taking on the West Coast Wrecking Crew. Then on the right side of the bracket, we'll have a team called the Midnight Heat taking on the Stray Dog Army, which will be uh, Barrett Brown and Mysterioso. And then on the bottom half of that bracket, we'll have the Dark Order, represented by Evil Uno and Allen Five Angels taking on Aussie Open. Yeah, um, interesting brackets here. So... You know, um, obviously, Danielson Fredericks against the factory, that one makes sense because kind of the continuation of that factory versus LA Dojo, you know, Fredericks sort of feud. Um, WCWC, that's um, West Coast Wrecking Crew. Okay, them against TMDK, that one's interesting. It's like heel versus heel. Right, and those are two strong teams. I feel like that was something, those teams would be separated. Yeah. And then we have Stray Dog Army against Midnight Heat. Midnight Heat, uh, I looked them up. Uh, team of Eddie Pearl and Ricky Gibson. They are um, primarily like from Defy and Prestige. They, they wrestle on UWN. I've never seen them. Um, one of the guys kind of looks like to me like if Eddie Guerrero and like Terry Funk had a baby. <laughs> I think weren't actually the other Midnight Heat wrestle. I think they wrestled with Kevin Knight in the DKC. When they did the Seattle tapings. Did they? I think so. Pretty sure. Yeah, they they did. And I thought they were pretty good. Yeah. They're that team, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, so that actually makes sense. Yeah, they're they're pretty good. Um, I forgot that that's who that was. So, yep. Um, They'll be taking on the Stray Dog Army and then... Uh, the Aussie Open versus Dark Order match is interesting because I don't know which members of Dark Order it is. But, uh, Evil Uno and Alan Angels. Uh, yeah, got to bring in another bald guy with a beard because Stu Grayson's not there. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
So that one's going to be interesting. And then, you know, we're going to have tag team champions coming out of this. I don't know what to think. I mean, my initial thought is West Coast Wrecking Crew. But, I mean, this one's kind of open. It could be anybody. Yeah, my initial, when the, the announcement was first announced, I was like, oh, it's going to be West Coast Wrecking Crew. But with Aussie Open in there, and see like Aussie Open is going to be regular on strong, I could easily see Aussie Open winning this thing also. Well, that was my thought too, but I'm just like, how how much are they actually going to be around the states? Yeah, you know, that's that's my question with that. Um, if 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 that's the plan, then yeah, I can see Aussie Open definitely being like the inaugural champions. And then they just add more gold to the uh, United Empire. Yeah, so that one's going to be fun to kind of see how it unfolds, and very much looking forward to Tom Waller versus Fred Rosser. I mean. Uh, that's been the most storied rivalry of New Japan Strong and two classic matches, and they're going to have a third one. Um, we, I haven't watched any of the Fred Rosser documentary that they got going, but I'm gonna this week coming up, I'm going to watch it. We can maybe discuss it next week on the show. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to watch them either. I know there's like two parts. I'm, I'm planning on watching them before the, the title match, but I heard they're good and uh, should be fun watching those and that Rosser-Lawler matchup. Nice. Well, let's get to the news here. So um, first bit of news is Carl Fredericks. There's no other notes. It just says Carl Fredericks. So that's the news <laughs> well, on Carl. Like I mentioned in the tournament bracket um, with Fredericks, you know, he went on Twitter and was complaining about not being G1 and being very upset and, you know, talking about, you know, how he poured all his time in and all these promises were made. And um, so that Twitter rant seems to have removed him from this tournament and the tour and, Seems like he might be on a little bit of a, I don't know if a suspension or a, a break, uh, but definitely seems like things are not in a good place right now with Fredericks in New Japan. So what's so he's he's off of the tour, so he's not in the turn in this tag tournament, right? Yuyamura is replacing him. Oh, I must have. I'm having a weird day. I missed that part. So, <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I didn't even know about that. Yeah, he went on Twitter like as soon as G1 he's like. Can't believe I'm not like he has this whole reign of like not being in it. He's like, you know, promises were made. Uh, they're saying, you know, Carl, just stay, don't leave. Like you're gonna get a spot and blah blah blah. And he's saying, just going. Bro, they did the same thing. This same thing happened with Abushi. It did not work out well for. Him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting, but um, yeah, I have to take a look at that. That's crazy. Did he delete it all? No, they're they're still up there. Last time I checked. It. Wow. In other news, AEW's Andrade Adolo says he was supposed to face Will Ospreay at Forbidden Door, but the match was changed for political reasons. We touched base on that earlier. We did have a question from Dark Soldier. He said, with Andrade barred from Forbidden Door, could there still be something between Naito and Roosh for the show? I just want something featuring Los Ingrenables. And I'm going to guess and say no, because it's Roosh, and he's with Triple A and not CMLL any, any longer. Yeah, and Naito is not a name that I've heard that's going to be at Forbidden Door. The LIJ names I've heard are Hiromu and Chingo. So. Mm. See, I had heard that he was going to be there, but I was told, like, expect a trios or something like that. But mm. as of now, it's weird because initially he, like, cut those promos talking about how he was going to be on the show, but so did Okada, and neither of them are there. So I don't know. Yeah. Um. In other news, on July 1st, Glate, there will be a big, it, what is it, it's their third anniversary show, right? I think so, yeah. T- 
Takanori Ito will be wrestling Yuji Nagata in UWFI rules match. T-Hawk, Onitsuka, and Alex Zane and Shigeru Iri will be taking on ha- members of the House of Torture. So there's going to be some uh, New Japan representation on that Glate show. Uh, Takanori Ito versus Yuji Nagata, that's one to definitely mark your calendars for. UWFI rules, it's going to fucking rule. Um, in other news, this past week from All Japan um, on the July or the June 12th show at Corkin Hall, they drew just under a thousand fans built around a trios tournament in the main event. Jake Lee teamed with Yuma Aoyagi and Shuji Ishikawa. They beat Kento Miyahara, Minoru Suzuki, and Suwama in 20 minutes and 33 seconds when Lee used the D4C to beat Kento Miyahara. Um, and then on June 19th, the Voodoo Murders, Suwama and Taru, they defeated Dan Tamura and Yuji Nagata in 11 minutes and 55 seconds. And there was the crowning of a new All Japan Pro Wrestling World Junior Heavyweight title champion as Tiger Mask 4 defeated Hikaru Sato in 14 minutes and 51 seconds. We had a question about this. Hawaiian Punch BB said, The old on top train keeps rolling along. Tiger Mask was able to win All Japan's Junior Heavyweight title. Do you think this set the stage for Yuji Nagata to take the Triple Crown in order to become the fifth man? To complete the trifecta. Well, yeah, man. It seems like all these other Japanese promotions, they're they're giving spots to the the olds of New Japan, giving them the big push. My man Kojima is a champ now, and now we have Tiger Mask as a junior champion in all Japan. So yeah, these dads are just gonna keep on getting bookings. Pretty soon, uh, Tenzon is gonna be like what zero one champ or something. <laughs> Possibly. Um, you know, I don't want to pretend to be like the uh, end-all, be-all, know-it-all about all of Japanese, you know, pro Razu, but I mean, Hikaru Sato, that's a name that I'm pretty familiar with, and, you know, he's not necessarily spring chicken himself, and I'm pretty sure he's on, like, uh, you know, he's a he's a freelance guy, so it's not like they had a Tiger Mask go out there and, like, kill one of their younglings or something like that, so, you know, that this is kind of like a I don't know, uh, unilateral change as more so than anything else. So, hmm. but it is kind of cool. I mean, Tiger Mask for <laughs> world champion yeah. 2022. <laughs> but that is going to do it for the news. We're going to jump into the questions and the recommended matches and get out of here. Yep. So Hawaiian Bunch PB asked, were you able to watch the Jerry versus Glover fight uh, this past weekend? Serious fight of the year contender. It's Yuri. 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 And, uh, yes, I saw it live. And let me tell you, one of the greatest fights in the history of MMA, period. If you haven't seen it, go out of your way to see it. Um, For modern, I mean, like, I've got a list of, like, fight of the year candidates going back to, like, 1990, like, two. (laughs) (laughs) And I've I've also got a list of, like, pre-93, you know, fights to all. You know, I've got a, I don't know, I'm, I'm fucking weird like that. But I've got, like, a match of the year and then. Uh, runner-up for every year from 93, well, starting in 92, but re- more realistically from 93 up until, like, now. And, but, like, for modern fight fans, like, two of the fights that I can probably list that everyone kind of knows, like, let's say John Jones versus Gustafsson 1, or Lawler versus McDonald 2. Those are probably two of the more really famous, like, fight of the year candidates. This fight was in the same league as both of those. One of the greatest, greatest wars in the history of MMA. So if you haven't seen Yuri Prohaska versus Glover 
Tetchera. Uh, you definitely want to see it. It was incredible. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but yeah, I heard it was absolutely incredible. So I have to uh, check that out. Bro, he stopped this man with like 34 seconds left, and he was losing. I actually didn't know who was winning the fight. Like, it was so back and forth that I didn't know who was actually winning on the cards. But um, it, I thought Yuri was going to eat him up. Like, Glover's one of my all-time favorite guys, but I just, uh, I, I don't know. I thought Yuri was just stylistically a bad matchup for him, but, man, oh, my God. Just a crazy fight. If you guys haven't seen you got to watch it. it. It'll blow your mind. He also asked thoughts on Beer Beeb's demolition job on Joe Smith Jr. Do you think that Bivol and Canelo are lucky that they have the potential rematch to fall back on and completely avoid Beer Beeb for now? Better Biev. Uh Yes, so I watched that fight. It was on ESPN Plus, and uh, I thought he would pretty much run through Joe Smith Jr., and that's exactly what he did. Two, two minute, you know, two rounds, and got him out of there. I did notice, though, there was a, a couple nice counters that Joe Smith hit him with uh, in the first round, and he was also able – now, he shouldn't have utilized his jab from that mid-range the way he did. He was too flat-footed and opened himself to all those uh, vicious, you know, clubbing blows from uh, Better BF. But um, I got to tell you, I think Bivol could beat Better BF. I'm not saying he will for sure, but he's a good enough boxer that I think he could beat Better BF. So I, I actually want – I really want to see that fight. Now, Canelo, hell no. <laughs> I, I and I've been saying this for a long time on the show. Canelo is too small for 175. He's lucky that he beat um, uh, Volkov or Sergey Kovalev. God, what's wrong with me? Um, yeah, he was losing that fight to Kovalev, and he's lucky he knocked him out. But like, it's just it's just too much weight. He's too small. Like his frame isn't built for 175. Those guys are much much bigger than him. But um. Yeah, I'm not convinced that Better Biev is going to beat Bivol, to be honest with you. I think I'd give the edge to Bivol. Hmm. Uh, next from the Dark Soldier, says, Last week I brought that they wasted O'Reilly versus Goto, when in reality they could have had Max Caster win the Battle Royal. Goto beats Tanahashi in a 59-minute classic, then in Forbidden Door. Angry that he lost, Tanahashi helps Caster win, shakes Billy Gunn's hand in a moment that rivals Steve Austin and, and Mr. McMahon <laughs> taking hands. WrestleMania 17, Tanahashi joins the acclaimed in Gun Club and, of course, starts an air guitar, scissoring party, scissor me daddy, what say you? Well, this is so stupid. <laughs> I, I do, bro, I pop every time they say scissor me daddy. Scissor me, no, he says scissor me ass daddy, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. It's so stupid. Yeah, the, the acclaimed in Gun Club, they're, they're getting over. It's, bro, they're funny. Yeah, they are pretty funny. Uh, he also asks, with Bread Club Emperor Satoshi Kojima as a GHC heavyweight champion and Noah with their level of old guys, is there a possible chance for Kojima to defend the belt in a New Japan show? Possibly. I mean, who knows? Probably not, but who knows? Yeah, I'd, I'd be kind of surprised if, if they did. It seems like even though they're using a New Japan guy, they're, they're definitely wanting to keep things still separate. Um. So speaking of Noah, should Congo and Kiyomiya just leave Noah and join NJPW? It'd be awesome and bring some new life to the roster. I mean, yeah, that would be awesome. I mean, I don't know how realistic it is, but sure. Yeah. I mean, obviously getting new guys, especially those talented guys would be cool. But, you know, 
most of the times in Japan, guys kind of stay where they are they are for for life. So, but we'll see what happens with those guys. Uh, Let's commission seven two five two says from hearing the podcast for almost a year. If I could see you guys in a faction, I could see Jeremy in the main unit as Tanahashi's second when he's in a big match main event. While I see Josh in Suzuki Goon as he relates to El Esperado because he can disrespect anyone in a heartbeat like he does Yo each week on the podcast, but still be funny and loved by his fans. What do you guys think? Sounds pretty accurate. Yeah. <laughs> like Jer- Jeremy's definitely the like a white hat. Like he's like, you know, a Kota Ibushi or Tanahashi figure. Whereas like I'm probably more like like a Despi or like a Tai Chi, like or Naito, like someone who wants sees themselves as being those guys, but like is really like pissed that they're not. So <laughs> Uh, last question here from uh, Boots and Burns. He says, "I know you guys got you guys get questions about boxing and MMA all the time, but I'll ask you something about kickboxing. Have you checked out the match with Tension and Takaru, two kickboxing's P4P best in the biggest fight in Japanese combat sports in the last twenty years? It packed the Tokyo Dome with fifty six thousand three hundred ninety nine fans and had a gate of twenty five million dollars." Do you think New Japan will ever reach at least 45K in the Tokyo Dome? The crowd was also the loudest I've heard Japanese crowd in the post-COVID era. Why are Japanese combat sports crowds able to make noise while Piorezu crowds are still stuck with clap only? Um, so, yes. Um, I gotta be honest. Like, I'm not the biggest uh, or most knowledgeable individual when it comes to kickboxing. Like, uh, I definitely, like, have done a lot of like research when it comes to like the, the heyday of like glory and K one and stuff like that. But, um, and I mean, I love it, but I do really like it. Like if you throw on like some K one or like a glory event, you know, uh, I'll watch it for sure. But I don't know all the fighters. I don't know all of the, um, you know, I, I'm just not as familiar. I did see something about Tenjin and uh, Takaro, but I didn't even understand what it was or the significance of it. So this actually kind of gave me a little bit more background. Um, I do think, though, that New Japan on multiple occasions has done more than 45K in the Tokyo Dome. Um, even recently, if, I, if I'm if i wrong, I don't know. I feel like a, a few years ago they were doing pretty close to that or more. I think they hit 40, I think was the highest they hit, if I'm remembering correctly. Okay, gotcha. But, um, yeah, I'll definitely check it out. I mean, um, another fight is that I want to check out is the Katie Taylor versus Amanda Serrano fight. That was, That's a fight between the two greatest pound-for-pound women fighters of all time. That happened in Madison Square Garden uh, like a month or so back. I, I heard it was like the fight of the year in boxing, period, men or women. I didn't get to check that out. So um, I've just been really busy with my studying and trying to keep up with wrestling for the show now that I've got a – a brief reprieve before I go into my next licensing. Uh, you know, I'll, that's definitely a fight I want to check out. But I saw I saw a lot of people sharing stuff about it. I didn't know what was going on. Yeah, and I'm not quite sure why they're able to cheer for combat sports and not wrestling yet. Um, hopefully that changes soon because these fans are def- desperate to cheer. We saw that on Cork and Hall show today and can desperately help inject some life into New Japan shows. Nice. Well, that is going to do it for questions this week. Thank you all for 
those of you that submitted questions. If you're listening and you'd like to submit questions, uh, we post them every week on Reddit. Uh, you can also um, ask us questions on Twitter, uh, in our Facebook group, The Wrestling Squared Circle, uh, lots of different places. And if you're listening and you want to be involved, like, have at it. We welcome it, definitely. Definitely. So now let's end with the recommended match of the weeks. Um, so, also we didn't do one last week. So, two weeks ago, I recommended for recommended match the Dominion 2012 match for the IWGP heavyweight title, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Hiroki Goto. 2011? Yeah. Okay, you said 2012. I was like, oh, did I yeah. watch the wrong match? <laughs> oh, yeah, 2011. <laughs> um, yeah, so this one was really, um, you know, I said this a couple weeks back that I believe that this was, you know, pretty much heralded it as the the best of all the Goto Tanahashi matches. And I went and watched this. I, did you catch this, Jeremy? Yeah, I did. Really, really great match. Um, you know, at this point, Tanahashi and Goto have a lot of history with one another, and they've kind of been trading wins back and forth. And the story here is that Goto has, up to this point, you know, he's had glory in New Japan. He's won G1. He's won New Japan Cup on multiple occasions. And he's challenged for not only the IWGP title, but also the uh, GHC Global Honored Crown title multiple times as well. And he's never been able to win the big one. And so it felt like at this point the stars had kind of aligned. Um, This match was actually set up coming off the cusp of Goto leaving New Japan and going to Mexico and spending a, a brief period of time over there kind of recollecting himself. When he came back, he came back with a fresh, bold, new attitude and his new finisher. I forget what the Shoutouten, is that what it's called? Yeah, Shoutouten, yeah. Yeah, and um, that was supposed to be like his ticket to to being able to win the big one. And prior to challenging for this match, he came out, tried to challenge Tanahashi, who's like at his peak cockiness, and... Tanahashi had already like rebuffed challenges from Goto in the past and pretty much was dismissive. And Goto headbutted this dude, and it was known as the headbutt heard around the world. It like set the stage for this match. And the deal is basically like Tanahashi represents like this upper echelon of stardom that Goto had never reached. And all he had to do was go out there and beat Tanahashi, and he's gonna fulfill his destiny and like take his place amongst the greats in New Japan. And um he goes out there and he tries his damnedest, but Tanahashi <laughs> is like at his peak. He's in his prime and he is always one step ahead of Goto. And one thing I thought was interesting is how Goto really tries to rough up Tanahashi and utilize his uh, strong style, you know, um, offense. And Tanahashi is more than willing to go toe to toe with this guy and fight him in the trenches and stylistically do the exact same things. Um, one thing I thought that was cool about the match, though, is that Tanahashi, even though he is more dynamic than him, even though he is faster than him and able to be a step ahead of him, the the, the thing that separates them is how, how much more impactful any sort of major move Goto hits him with actually ends up being. So, like, Tanahashi will be wrestling circles around this guy, and then Goto will hit him with a lariat and lay him out. And it's like, anytime he hits Tanahashi, he's like, closing the gap that Tanahashi was putting between them. And so it's kind of like he's the whole match. He's chasing Tanahashi's like building up points, building up points, getting ahead of him. And then boom, Goto like 
knocks some sense into him and like it's like oh they're close again but realistically goto never can actually get past tanahashi and the whole ma- the whole match is a microcosm for the reality that they're living <laughs> in real life <laughs> and um the other great thing about it is tanahashi works the leg extensively and that pays dividends at the end because right when he's trying to go for the shots in ken He's not a, he, he doesn't have the footing to get it. If he lands it, he's going to beat Tanahashi, but he can't land it. And Tanahashi ultimately is able to beat him with, you know, um, twisted shouts and, you know, sling blades and, you know, dragon screws and dragon suplexes and ultimately hits the hits him with the double, uh, you know, uh, high fly flow and gets him out of there one, two, three, and dashes his dreams. And after this, they're pretty much done. I mean, they have one more major match in 2012 in the New Japan Cup, and Goto does beat him at, in the finals of the New Japan Cup, but Goto never wins the world title. And they never, ever do have another notable singles match outside of G1 climaxes for the remainder of their career up until just recently. And even that's kind of a footnote. This is the last major, major match of their rivalry, and Tanahashi wins. Yeah, it was an awesome matchup. It's always fun watching Prime Tanahashi, and like you mentioned, with him going in the trenches of Goto, it kind of reminded me of the Shingo and Ishii matches, where even today Tanahashi is not afraid to kind of throw blows with those guys that like that never style of throwing the forearms back and forth. So, yeah, really a fun matchup, and it was fun to watch that in, in the build to the Tanahashi-Goto Dominion match this year. Obviously, the Dominion match was nowhere near the heights of this matchup, but it was still kind of fun to kind of watch some of the the peak of the rivalry. Well, it's also interesting because a lot of people consider this one of, if not the match of the year for New Japan. And, you know, um, I look back at my fandom, and in, like, 2011, for me, like, John Cena versus CM Punk is, like, the end-all, be-all match of the year. And I'm, like, looking back, I'm like from a story perspective maybe, but like in ring that, that match is not touching this match. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but um, my excursion match pick of the week from two weeks ago was the tag team match between Aussie open and the velocities from rev pro epic encounter 2022. And uh, Jeremy, I caught this today. Unreal. What were your thoughts? Man, I watched it last night. This match was freaking incredible. Oh my god. Like this and I know they were had like tag match of the year last year, but this match again, they did it again. They absolutely killed it. This match is definitely going to be ranking as one of the tag team matches of the year. Uh, you know, story of the match here, you know, Aussie Open, they're part of the United Empire, they're kind of a top team. In Rev Pro, they had just recently lost to Sunshine Machine, and they're trying to get back in contention for the Rev Pro titles. And then you have their their rivals, uh, Velocities, who they have faced in the past, but it's new to the Rev Pro audience. And they're both uh, much smaller than the the Aussie Open boys, uh, Kyle, uh, Mark Fletcher, and um, Kyle, Kyle Davis. Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis. Their names, yeah. yeah. Uh, but those guys, the Aussie Open guys, are much bigger than the. Uh, Velocity guys, and that was a part of the story of the match. The, the Velocities, they would try to, you know, do a lot of high-flying and high-paced moves, but uh, Fletcher and Davis are just way too strong for these guys. Um, 
using their power to just, like toss these guys around like yesterday's trash. Um, and, you know, the crowd, like I said, Velocity is kind of new to the Rev Pro crowd. They're pretty quiet to the match towards the beginning, or they're just mainly chanting for Aussie Open. By by the end of this thing, there was dueling chants, there were standing ovations, people were all in on the Velocities, and they just did so many crazy moves and sequences. There was a shooting star DDT. Um, they did, like, the the reverse Tombstone Destroyer. Um, there was dives, like, there was just so many, like, I was, like, popping and marking out so hard for just the, the, all the crazy, like, moves and sequences that these teams were doing, and it just shows you, like, these teams are, like, two of the best in the world, especially Aussie Open. I feel like the velocities were, at some points, a little bit sloppy compared to Aussie Open, but I feel like Aussie Open was there to kind of tighten things up for them, but, man, there was a... So much great moves and like the crowds at the end were like living and dying with every near fall that the velocities were were getting on Aussie Open and uh, towards the end um, Aussie Open hit their double team move off the top rope on one of the velocities and got the win for the team. So awesome, awesome matchup. If you have not watched this matchup yet, uh, there is a, a link of the show floating around on YouTube. I highly recommend watching this matchup it was so awesome yeah absolutely i mean it was freaking unreal (laughs) (laughs) i feel like um realistically if more people saw this it would definitely be like tag match of the year or even a match of the year contender and um i mean i personally looking back on this this is better than the young bucks and and the lucha brothers from uh that uh, Rampage show from LA recently which in its own right that was incredible uh, this was better than that and this is on the same level as FTR versus the Briscoes from Supercard of Honor except this might not have had the same level of hype and level of uh, um, ambiance from the crowd but if you put this match in that same environment this is the better match yeah, this match was absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, and the moves, just the pace, holy crap. Incredible, incredible. If you guys haven't seen it, you need to see this match. Uh, now, for this week, uh, my pick for excursion match of the week will come from GCW I Never Liked You from this past weekend, June 19th, with Will Ospreay versus Nick Wayne. Yeah, I've heard a lot about this. I'm surprised you did not pick um the ghc title win of um (laughs) of uh satoshi kojima but um yeah i heard great things about this match and i'm definitely looking forward to checking it out so that will be awesome and then my recommended match of the week in the spirit of aew versus new japan pro wrestling forbidden door i have gone ahead and picked a match from wcw super brawl 1991, the main event as the NWA world champion Ric Flair takes, oh no, I'm sorry, the WCW champion Ric Flair takes on the unified NWA and and, and IWGP heavyweight champion Tatsumi Fujinami. Nice. So, And this match is kind of interesting because Fujinami and Flair were the top two guys of their respective companies. Obviously, Ric Flair's the top guy from, you know, 
the Crockett days and from the territories and the longstanding NWA champion and moving into the nineties, he's the top guy of WCW. And then you've got Fujinami as the de facto top guy of, of new Japan following, you know, the, the retirement announcement of Antonio Inoki. So you've got the two most loved guys of their promotions and also the most respected workers of the eighties in their respected companies, both champion versus champion. They had had a match earlier in the year in the Tokyo dome where it was champion versus champion. And this is where it gets a little confusing in WCW. There were two championships. There was the WCW world title and the NWA world title, but they were both represented by the big gold belt just one title (laughs) and the nwa was still its own separate sanctioning body that existed outside of the wcw which was owned by ted turner and when they had this match he was still just the champion rick flair he was the champion of the nwa and wcw it was like a synonymous thing and they did a title for title match and in the match fujinami beats flair in the tokyo dome and basically wins the NWA belt. But WCW didn't want to recognize the title change, so they actually had Flair go home with the big gold belt, and they said that he didn't lose. The, like, when they did the, the actual U.S. broadcast and, and version of the tape, they said that he never lost the title because he got thrown over the top rope in mm. the middle of the match. And you can't lose the title when you get thrown over the top rope. And so they said that it was a, an error by – they did a dusty finish. They said it was an error by the uh, <laughs> Bill, of, Bill Alfonso, who was the referee at the time. And so they said that, like, he he messed up, and then the Japanese officials did a bad call. And so even though it looked like, quote-unquote, Fujinami won the WCW belt, he didn't actually win it. When in actuality, what happened is the NWA board decided to re- sanction his win but WCW did not. And so it created like a whole fiasco and like Flair went home with the belt, but like Fujinami still the NWA and IWGP champion. And so the match at Super Brawl from the US perspective of the fans, they just think it's a guy coming in to challenge for the WCW belt. But from the Japanese audiences like perspective, it's the NWA champion coming in to claim the 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 you know disputed version the WCW belt it's very like interesting stuff but uh the match is very it's very good but and underrated as well nice looking forward to checking that out especially uh in the build to uh forbidden door well that's going to wrap things up for us this week next week we'll be back to review forbidden door you enjoyed today's show please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo make sure to connect with us on social media on twitter the show is at ki strong style you can follow me at jeremy l donovan also follow the network at social suplex on facebook or facebook.com slash social suplex also you can find us in the facebook group wrestling squared circle facebook.com slash group slash wrestling squared circle on Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy. That's just keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Discord server, Social Suplex Podcast Network. 
And check out all those shows that we have here on the network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Creative Consequences, hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite, hosted by Floyd and Austin. The AW Match Guide podcast, hosted by Sir Sam. And The Great Match Generator, hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Ichiba. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.